0: It is a good point So let's let's us uh, Alright we're gonna do a show Do a
1: show Let's do a show, do a
0: show. You, uh, Keep uh, What kind of show you wanna do Well one that's a little bit late Well what do you mean Cause you're stalling Cause they Well the thing We, we got we got talking No I mean like It's this, going up a day late I have 5% left on the iPad So this song What not take up 5% Why would you not have a fully charged Hollywood Hotel Cause it's Hollywood Hotel It's Hollywood Hotel I just forgot I, I can't. I'm still in transition to the snack shack in the back. It's not a snack shack. The, what do you nick, call it? The knickknack knack shack. Knick-knack. I'm still in transition, so I forget to charge. And I just got power back there, so <laughs> I've been forgetting to plug things in. And
1: Can I tell you, I, I freaked out. I didn't freak out the other day, but I lost power at my apartment for like... I thought you
0: were going to say you freaked out in the knickknack. No, shack. No, no, it's like, no. i not going to hurt
1: you. No, no, no. I love the knick-knack shack. It's yeah. just a little warm that one time. A little bit. But that was, the <laughs> only, that was my only thing with the knick-knack shack. But I like what you've done back there. It's like... It's a little bit of a, um, I guess you. I mean, I don't want to say the man cave because that just sounds like it's not a man cave. Yeah, the man cave would be a basement.
0: There. It's a garage. It's either one of those. By the way, this is Hollywood uh, Anonymous.
1: I am uh, Brian Irwin, and I'm John Huck. There we go. Thank you for listening. We're doing a show. Brian's going to run the music about until about halfway through. No, you want me to? Yeah, that would be great.
0: John bought me a coffee today. Oh yeah! And hopefully give, that'll give be it the it only back, word dude. that has cough in it, but there's a pretty good chance. Given back, dude, I gave back to the community there. A rainy today, so that's that almost calls for a cough. Uh, a lot a, of people oh. getting the flu
1: because it rained
0: twice can in I Los be, Angeles. Can I
1: can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Why the cough? I think has gone down a little. Why? Uh, I got a new. You stopped using needles? No. Yeah, okay. I got a new <laughs> <laughs> needles. I got a new a new bubbler. Like a, a pipe I, That's like
0: a Sherlock bubbler I thought that, you meant a bubbler You know what we used to call you Yeah know, that's what people In
1: Wisconsin call water fountains yeah, I know okay, it's so okay. bizarre But n- you know No one else in America Does that right? No Okay And you guys say bag Hey hand me my bag well, Your what? My bag I don't like, know what that means I bought a bag of groceries Oh I thought you meant A bag of weed Yeah I got a bag of weed Like a bag They say it like it's b e g. And well, they, and they say bubbler. Anyway, anyway. But yeah, I bought this thing where now I'm, it's basically like a pipe, but it's got water in it. And then I, it's being filtered through the water. So it, it helps. What's the, in the water? Well, nothing. Being I being mean, filtered? It's, well, the, the
0: weed is being filtered through the... Mary Jane? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Mary Jane. Mary man, James. Yeah, pops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, I did the, uh, the wedding this week. You, oh, yeah. The you weekend, went, remember? You, yeah. Yeah, the Warren Beatty wedding. Oh. yeah. yeah, yeah. And did you give him a script, <laughs> <laughs> Mister Beatty? Hi, it's me, Brian well, Irwin. Ju- just to recap, as we as we've talked before, I don't I don't talk to famous people. Um, I Wait, always... But whose
1: wedding was this again?
0: Uh, Peter Sprites. Oh right, right, right. You know, do you know Peter? I've met Peter briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah his his wife is best friends with uh, Annette Benning, who uh, was the um, I don't say Masters of ceremony. When you, when you get the thing where you actually marry the people, what you get you're, you're the, the yeah,
1: you're you know what you're the officiate aff- uh, yeah, aff-
0: yeah officiate. whatever that thing is,
1: yeah. But you, I, you can say
0: MC because you're kind of like <laughs> you kind of are the MC. But, I, I went, to, but you know what I'm saying? She she officiated the wedding basically. So that's she had cool. she got one of those online, you know, uh, you know. Yeah, that's my buddy did, just got his, and he's going to do our wedding. By the way, it was it was a uh, it was an amazing uh, wedding. The, 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 that whole part of it was it was interesting because you know Peter's. Uh, previous wife had had died, and yeah, both he that's... and his new wife were. Fr- she was she was friends with Peter's old wife, and oh, and wow. so her his his ex wife or old. I'm um, sorry, his Peter's obviously a widow. His his previous wife's her whole family was there. Like they incorporated her into the wedding. It was a very unique, and it was the whole thing was uh, was really really that cool. is. Uh... Now, I'm only bringing this up because. Moving. Jesus. Um, because when you, know, when you have something like that where, you, where you know I've been around Peter for a long time, and you know the highs and the extreme lows, yeah. and then the highs, again, it's just like he asked me we'll get to the Warren Beatty stuff in a second, but he asked me to, uh, uh, on Friday night, which was the dinner, the rehearsal dinner, that all the, the groomsmen speak. And I've learned something about myself after all these years of, um, of doing stand-up. I am a horrible. I give horrible speeches. It's one thing to do stand up and it's scripted, and you go there. Do you try? But gi- do you try to be funny? N- well, no. I, I'm not even worried about the funny part. I just I think what happens is I shut down a part of of um, it, it, myself that has information. Like I'm afraid to offend. There's a huge difference between doing stand up. Yeah, you people giving are there, a there to laugh and, at your jokes and shit. And
1: yeah, and yeah. You're giving yeah. A speech so you're trying a to give this moment. speech,
0: and you're just like you're trying to point out. You got all these factors you have to, to weigh in. You got. Strangers, families that are there, uh, yeah, all different ages. I don't all. know them. Um, you happen to have some of uh, Hollywood's elite in the in the audience. Warren which,
1: Beatty, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing that would make. But me actually, kind of that bothered a
0: me. That bothered me the least. It's because it, I think because when you have a history, right, in a wedding, you have a history with one side or the other. Typically, not both. You either right. are the best friends with the groom or right, you're best right. friends with the bride. So there's a, half of the room are people you don't really know, and your job is to kind of. Weave together how they why you think it's great that they're together and all. So it's pretty complex. Yeah. Bottom line is I suck ass, <laughs> and I don't really know what I talked about, but oh, I don't think I said really? much. You, I was so mad were you, afterwards. Were you, were you, no, no, on no, the no, absolutely there? not. No. Well, you, so one of the guys that went up, uh, most of uh, the groomsmen were, were Peter's friends from comedy, and he was like he was so obsessed and worried about his speech that he did a ton of internet research on how to make the right type of speech. Whoa and uh what he, what they Wait, you the said first this, thing they say was a comic yes but the first thing they wow. say about giving speeches Make a joke. don't no don't try to be funny that's the uh. first rule number 1 in giving a speech at a wedding speech is don't be funny so that's that's a good rule. I just sucked, and the thing is, as soon as I got off stage, Natalie was like, "That that was pretty good." What you probably could have told him was that the only reason why you and I are together is because you know uh, because of Peter. I'm like, you know what? That's a really good point. I probably could have totally told that story versus a bunch of random bullshit, yeah, and, you, and you wouldn't have offended ba- Spewing anybody. and babbling out of my mouth. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so Warren Beatty is there, and he's way in the back. So basically, the room is all set up. It's at the Tello's, where uh, what's his name? Uh, I believe killed. You know, i I'm, I'm going to stop for a second because this is a tad, bit of a long story. So I want to yeah, I want to bring, in our, bring guest, in our guest. Yeah, because I think you know he can he can appreciate it. David Shepard, who's also um, lives right across the street. from Hello, Dave. Hello.
1: <laughs> basically without Brian's neighborhood or having or Brian having kids we would never have any guests we wouldn't have guests that weren't degenerate comics
0: that we know I wouldn't I, we're friends I wouldn't have a wife I mean okay. basically as you can see now um,
2: the neighborhood is cause a and job effect to do. yeah complete <laughs> neighborhood
0: has a job to do uh, but, but uh, um, we'll get into Dave's career in a little bit but as you were coming over I was thinking about a couple you and I have been in some pretty crazy situations together because he's my neighbor you can only imagine where this is going to go but I'll get back to oh, um, oh yeah um so so anyway, so the way the room was so Vitello's that's where Robert Blake I yes, believe right is right? right that's the whole I, Robert Blake the thing. one in the valley yeah is there more it's than right one right off
1: Coanga isn't it? yes yeah. that's the one yeah that that's where Robert Blake had his yeah wife the
0: shot, meal or... right before they left correct yeah, and, but no she got killed in a car out in the street right or uh, something yeah, like he, that he, yeah he went back inside. Not, she, he didn't kill her in there but no, he was no, eating we, there we, that's right they back, ate there right before
2: I think that his wife was killed and then he but she was killed in that neighborhood yes he went back inside to get his gun and then
1: she got shot outside. (laughs)
0: wait wait what do you mean he went back inside to
1: get his gun i don't know if he went back to get his gun that's what he told police no that's what he told police Uh, he was like i went back inside like why'd you go back inside i left my gun in the booth that we were sitting at and they're like you're what yeah i carry a gun and i left it in the booth like yeah, okay, I, well, come with us, dude. This is all very <laughs> well, first weird. first off, are like, you
0: allowed to carry guns in uh, California? Uh, uh, you, uh, you, you, must, you have to have a permit. You can, so you uh, could uh, technically. You know,
2: we'd have to ask my wife. She's an attorney. Oh yeah, that's right. Good point. We,
0: we could we could we could take it with both of our wives to get yeah, the legalities on that whole thing. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, so that's where the um, they have a back room where there's a stage and all this yeah, kind of I stuff. Used so to the do way comedy, yeah, there. yeah, they used to stand up. Here. Yeah. So the, the way the room was set up like you get all these tables in front, and then then there's kind of like a um, uh, an American Idol row all the way in the back. This just looks like a judging <laughs> – it's elevated from everything else. Well, of course, who do you think sitting at that section? Warren Beatty. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> kind of. Now, I had already talked to Annette Betting earlier because obviously because she's officiated the wedding, that was an easy conversation. He you did a great there. job. Oh, it was so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. total like, yeah. how's the weather? And I don't, again, I don't like to bother people. If it's a natural That's conversation, great. I don't want to be that person that goes, I know who you are, and I'm going to just kind of like really like talk to you in a way that, I know that you are, and weird. I hope you're happy yeah. with my head being up yep. your ass the rest of the <laughs> Exactly. And nobody yeah. did that at the wedding, but it's fine. So anyway, I get up there and I start talking and I and I point out this is the only time I think there was any inter- true interaction. And I point out the fact that it is a little bit weird that the la- the last row I feel like I have to win this. Like that's I felt like i I have to perform. You to walk rest. out there and like, all and I was just up, talking there. and there was like other people back. There wasn't just them. And all I see um is I just see Warren Beatty kind of just do like the well, what are you going to do? Like gave me like the total like, hey, guy, you know, that's right. Like that thing. And I was like, oh, he's actually acknowledging my presence. Okay, fair enough. I didn't realize he was 79 years old either. That's he probably sad, doesn't right? look it, huh? No, no, of course. He's he's, yeah. he's amazing. He's, and he's probably had some, I mean, he's probably had a little bit no, of work done. No, I don't think so. Um, but then the next day, um, we only crossed paths twice. And <laughs> going back to the thing I was telling John in previous, I've run into Arnold Schwarzenegger on multiple occasions. And again, super mega famous, right? Worldwide famous. Mm. Anything, just like a hello and have him say hello. back. Nothing, nothing happens. It's usually like a stare that happens too long where both parties are regretting.
1: <laughs> Looking at each other for any length of time. But
0: but the one party is far more powerful, yeah. so it matters less to them. Yeah, They're like- the person who's crushing and falling apart inside. Like you actually feel your bones melt inside of your skin. Yeah. So he just basically twice we saw and he just looked at me and gave me the wink and just walked away. I'm like, you know, guy still has never. I haven't. Well, I never. He heard. used
2: to be the governor. He was a public servant. No, yeah. now not Schwarzenegger. You, 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 now I'm back to Beatty. Oh, okay. okay yeah, Schwarzenegger. Like, like I
0: think if you, you, could, you, you could go up and say, uh, you "Hello, could, governor," thanks, and your he servants. would. He would probably yeah. shake your hand. Yeah, they have that the natural ice. thing, right? <laughs> right? The natural like yeah. p- politician he was a instinct. Public yeah, That's right. but but Beatty. Yeah, sure. Sorry, I don't know which one is you. This is you. Is that better? Uh, yeah, that's better. Yeah, thank you. But yeah, Beatty, it was there was no there was I, I don't I don't even know if the guy still talks. I he we, just I,
1: winks and shrugs and just yeah he
0: gives, was gives you know finger, which is fine finger guns super nice guy a lot of Dresses other people like, through the night would go of, you know approach him and talk to him I just I can't uh, I don't you you I'm, you I'm better I'm can you do,
2: can, I can't. Least, yeah, I'm like you. I'm I'm a little bit more reserved in that regard, and unless I unless I have a relationship to them through their work, where I felt like I've been influenced by them or uh, something about what they've done has made an impact on me, then I'll be emboldened by my appreciation for their work, okay. and I'll just go up with that. Yeah, okay. I'll lead with that and say, and you've got to think like. Who wouldn't want to hear something like that? Who wouldn't want to be like, "Hey, you know,
1: this is what I do now, and because of you, thank you." Yeah, who would want to
2: hear? And in that, I'm not looking for anything from them except to just tell them. And if 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 we break the ice and there's there's some give and take, and then the conversation go where it's going to go. Yeah,
1: if it just but but usually there's just like, "Oh, thank you very much. That's really kind of you." Thank you. Shake hands. Whatever. And then.
2: But I'm not starstruck. I don't need to sort of See, touch somebody's hands. I still, I still hands. am. Yeah, I,
0: we, yeah. we joke all the time that, like, for as long as I've been out here and as long as I've worked in the business, I still stare at the Hollywood sign and kind of get like that weird <laughs> Wisconsin guy thing in me. And when famous people are around, I still. And we joke at the fact that I know I'm supposed to pretend like none of that stuff bothers me because otherwise, how can I be successful in the business if I'm still like really fanny? Yeah. But I'm not like creepy fanny. I, I think mm. there's just a portion of me that just shuts down. I don't know how to communicate with you because I have. So so much respect for you, but we. But to get back to, to uh, a quick background uh, mm. for you, Dave, 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 uh, do you you do scores? Yeah, you I'm do, a composer, you're a a composer. you compose right. music. So you're the first. This is as, as unique as it gets. John was really excited to have you on the show because this is not, not that I'm not, but you know, <laughs> what I'm saying for somebody that he hasn't met uh, because it's like it it is one of those um, roles in in film and television that I truly believe that people appreciate but mm. don't understand. Sure. Yeah. why. It, it or how it happens and what the actual process is. Before we get there, I think one of the things I was going to bring up with you is that you also have a history of growing up in a family that you right. grew up here. And your uh, family well, part, worked yeah, in I, this of, business, of, correct?
2: That's right. I mean, I was born in New York, lived the first decade there, and my family moved out here. My father was worked for CBS, okay. the broadcaster. And that used to be the, the headquarters and, and the prime... Primary sort of broadcasting operations, entertainment, everything programming was based at BlackRock in Manhattan. Okay. Uh, the CBS building. And in the late seventies, the entertainment division was was relocating out here at Television City over on the West Side, you know, on Beverly So that didn't happen until the seventies. Well, they had they had the, the 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 top executives were always still based in Manhattan. Well, that was kind of a New
0: York was kind of the thing, right? Everything that was in control, it seemed
2: yeah, to be I mean, that's where it was because yeah. that's where radio started. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So the TV operations uh, were, were still based, the executives were still based in Manhattan, but in, in this, in the, over the course of the 70s, CBS started relocating more executives who were involved in programming in the entertainment side of television, as opposed to, say, sales or radio or okay. all the other businesses that CBS oversees, or any of the other broadcasters like NBC or ABC. Um, they started relocating a lot of uh, the employees out here at Television City. And my father at the time was traveling frequently from New York to LA until it came to a point where it made more sense for our whole family to move out here. And that's the story of why we ended up in Los Angeles. And then, yes, his career, he spent the, I would say, the, the greater part of his career Working in entertainment television specifically, what did he do? He, he worked at CBS for a while. I mean, what did he do in programming? Uh, yeah, programming. what does that actually programming, mean? Programming like, it means you you basically uh, oversee. I mean, the funny thing is, I grew up in it, but I, I, I guess the the best way to, de- de- to describe it is that he oversaw the schedule. Okay. The they over he oversaw the selection of. Um, programming that they put on, okay. in other words, comedy, news, drama.
1: He did a lot of rearranging of cards right. on, on big boards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like did you ever go to the um, office? Is that what um, you would see? Though? Did
0: you see those? those uh, is what he's saying true? Uh, no,
2: but <laughs> well, he probably had an assistant who stood right, there and right, moved right. The, the cards around. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, you know, I, I. That's not entirely off if I can remember, because some of these details are a little fuzzy because this is around when I was 10, 11 years right, old. Yeah, but you weren't really. I think they had like either. a like a uh, like a piece of paper that did have like. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And they would move that out oh, yeah. and they had the schedule. And so obviously what was the job of programming? The job of programming is deciding, what's the content that's aired. Mm-hmm. That what's the content that CBS is going to buy and air. Okay. Uh, how is it um, advertised uh when is it scheduled to program you know yeah. to air what makes it? the most sense yeah with,
1: with the advertisers we're going to hook up with it should it air at nine o'clock at night 8:30 at yeah, night? yeah because you
2: know one of the ways you build a hit is by placing a new show behind an existing hit yeah right. and so there's a lot of strategies so obviously one of them is what content are you going to air and what content are you going to buy and then how is it going to be um promoted promoted and, and programmed on schedule and and so uh in, in a very simplistic way of describing it, that's those are sort of that's the umbrella under of of, of tasks that he oversaw. I think which We're, is a lo- which is a lot, and like a lot goes into that. Like there's a lot,
1: and sometimes people don't get it right, and that those people usually get fired. I guess is how it works. There I
2: mean, is It's, a, pretty, it's, it's pretty a lot more than he wrote. was. He stayed for was he? Well, did, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he, his career at CBS was. Um, you know, I'm not the best person to say. I don't know the exact number of years, but he was there. Quite a while. I mean, yeah, I, long mean, I would say at least uh, he started in research, um, which was uh, a great, from what I understand, a great place to start. Because by the time he got up into programming, he understood the demographics uh, of viewing all oh, across the okay. country. So that was that really in, them, Yeah, sure. that was really his elevator up into programming yeah. because he used to get called into the meetings with the executives who oversaw the entertainment division to. Tell them where what kind of programming was popular in what part of the country, right. rural, yeah. urban, wherever. Fourteen year olds in Idaho are watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because that's important data, yeah. as we know. I mean, we're living in the era of big data. Everybody's mm-hmm. looking at metrics to try to determine how to um, get their message out to people, and 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 so he, that's where he started. And I would say his kid, his his career at CBS spanned at least two decades. But that's cool. Uh, you know, I, I it sounds like just from this conversation, I need to go have a conversation with my father and get a little more. That's specific. what
0: we do. We actually try to bring yeah. your families back together and really, really open. Well, but it's, it intrigues me. The reason why I brought it up is because obviously you grew up in, in and around that. Where did you guys live?
2: Where? In Which part New of York Los or Angeles or, here oh, did you okay, live?
0: Okay, when we moved to, to Los Angeles, we lived in Beverly Hills. In, in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Okay, so were you, did you go to all the Beverly Hills schools? Well, and, that's right. Because you don't strike me as a Beverly Hills. Oh, thank well, you. You know what, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Well, You're like, you, I would take that as a compliment. Amanda, well. remember when we had Amanda Where on the show? What do I strike you as? Yeah. Just normal dude. Oh, okay. And, and so it's that's like,
2: probably New York. Is that what it is? That's probably the New York. Okay. First ten years in New York, and you're like East I'm Coast. Just... East coasters. I mean, you're, you know, you're from the Midwest. I mean, East Coast people have a reputation for being sort of down to earth and substantial, real, not flaky. Is that
0: how they describe abrasive? <laughs> 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 that
1: Guy just spit on <laughs> me. Gave me the finger. No, no actually, man. no. You
0: He's are correct because a earth. lot of people think I'm from New York. Do uh, how, why I have no idea if you it's listen Sam to me Tripoli talk long enough. New
2: York. <laughs> I, Lisa and I, who are natives, we would have never guessed you were from New York. Exactly. exactly. No, yeah, you, I mean yeah. I, I, would, yeah. I would have guessed. I mean I wouldn't have guessed you're from Los Angeles. All I no. got to do is see
1: one Packer thing, and I go, hey, Wisconsin, <laughs> yeah, right. dude, yeah. I get it.
2: Yeah, maybe he was staring at the yeah. Packer flag
0: all through the fall. <laughs> um, but uh, so did you go to all the typical Beverly uh, Hills schools? mean,
2: Yeah, we went to the public schools there. did. I mean, to be honest, when we moved out here, uh, <clears throat> the reason my family's situated in Beverly Hills was because they had the reputation for being the best public schools on the west side. And was that true? I, I can't evaluate Good it enough maybe, for you. Maybe, again, maybe we should ask yeah. my parents. Well you only went to one you went, you went to I, the schools in that area, I so. went to the
0: elementary went to, how school. How many drug and problems did you the, have during your tenure? How many what? Drug, drug problems. problems did you have during your tenure?
2: Personally or you know, <laughs> in the school, problems with <laughs> other <laughs> people yeah. using drugs. Well, or all yeah, public schools have
0: problems, drugs. right? So no, I was just kidding. But um so uh do you looking back on it now, yeah. Even though it was your experience, um, Looking and now to- you have a child. Do yeah. you think that going to school in Beverly Hills, you still would classify as a relatively normal, like you, you you don't really see it, it's not that much different than anywhere else, or is it different because of the power and influence that, that part of the country has? Yeah,
2: you know, that's an interesting question. I would say, you, you know, the first knee-jerk response is, for anybody to ask a question like this, how do you compare your experience if that's the only experience you had? But did you what, notice the power and the well, influence there? Well, what I did the... notice when we moved from from New York to Los Angeles, I mean, the first thing I noticed was that half the school was outdoors. Which was very bizarre. A, you would notice that. Wisconsin, it's
1: class to class. Just yeah, back I mean and forth. the pathways
2: were uncovered. They, yeah, you right. know, and it, that made no sense. When I came out here, what I was like, doing months of October <laughs> through January. Yeah. Outdoor oh, balls threw me too. That made no. sense. I mean, because me you too. know, right. I mean, yeah, you're yeah, from yeah. the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, schools and the rest of the country are like bunkers. Yes, exactly, and not just because they're completely covered and the walls. No, because if you're ready for, you have to be
0: ready for Wolverine and Red
2: Dawn. I mean, you need. No, but they are. I mean, because uh, because of the, you know, just because you go in, you go into winter season, which can last five, six months, and you have to stay warm, but Nine they were like bunkers. Out here, it, I mean, it there were palm trees, it was sunny, you walked from class to class when it was outdoors. That's the first thing I noticed. No, did you dig that? Were you okay? I loved What was, so when you moved, were you a fan of where you were? I mean, I guess you're a kid, you're always a fan of where you were, right? Let me be honest. I think I was one of the only people in my family that was, that that had no compunction about leaving new york and that's okay. not because i had a problem with new york but i felt like i was coming out to the land of sunshine and palm trees oh, and yeah. disneyland yeah, i mean you know like i had only like once before been to la okay. and, and we had made a trip to disneyland so it was beautiful there were palm yeah. trees you came I on mean,
1: vacation so of course
2: you're like yeah it's a vacation life is a vacation out yeah, here <laughs> that's what certainly <laughs> okay. back then i mean i don't know necessarily what the reputation for california is but for a kid growing up in the 70s in new york um, and it, well, the New York in the seventies is not
0: what New York is today. Either.
2: Yeah, I mean, Southern ciudadanas. California to me at that time was vacation. You land. Came, we yeah. went from mean streets with Tamiru <laughs> <and>, to <laughs> to Disneyland. But to answer your question about the 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 experience of it, was I, there a lot, I, wealth, this, a lot of wealth? I guess I would say this. Looking back, I did notice that there were a lot more sort of um, uh, fancy cars showing up. To pick up kids, okay. Rolls Royces. One day I saw Roger Moore pick up his grandson. Get out of here! Yeah, and he pulls up in this powder blue Rolls Royce. Did oh you sing? And, and I knew Baker it would... while he was right next to. You. Yeah, no. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it probably would have been fur eyes only.
0: This is something. John. We're, it's yeah. now officially a show. He's right. coughing. He's I'm coughing. Sneezing. He's good. He's sneezing. Well, it sounds like a cough. Okay. <laughs> So Moon, that, that's amazing. You yeah. saw you saw one. Of, you saw James Bond at your school, yeah, like the second
1: gets, James Bond ever. Or, oh, third. So right there third alone, Dave.
0: That third. that's what separates you from anybody going to school in Warrenville, Illinois. <laughs> okay, just so you know, <laughs> James Bond is not picking up his kid at at John's Grand elementary school. Right? No, that's yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, that's right. He was pretty old by then, wasn't? Well, he? Well,
2: old enough, but. Uh, so I would say looking back, yeah, there was, there was definitely probably an adjustment period where I was starting to see a lot more expensive cars and, and bigger homes. Um, but I would say that, you know, the values we were raised with were still sort of um, the same kind of honesty, integrity. Um, were you raised you know, in substance? a conservative, more of a conservative household? And what I mean by that is that um,
0: you you grew up uh, in the 80s, the cocaine era, and, and pa- there's a lot of partying and yeah. bad clothes. Yeah. And so I'm just curious. <laughs> if, too. And, when, and, you know, that's, again, yeah. as an outsider, looking back at how they portrayed yeah. Beverly Hills and Hollywood and yeah. L.A. at that yeah. time was like, it was out of control. Less Everybody was having parties <laughs> sure. and it was just nonstop. It
2: was your family
0: kind of like? Listen, let's. We're not. They, they, that you was know, not. You know, Brian.
2: Look at us. I mean, you know, we were a family. Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, when you say family. How many? How many kids? Oh, you know, you there was you? four kids. Okay. and there was a total six of us. And my parents were together. So mm-hmm. you know, my parents weren't. You know, in, you know, just sort of you know uh, jumping into the Hollywood scene in their right. early thirties, wanting mm-hmm. to go out and party. I mean, yeah. they were serious people. they were, my dad was raised in Brooklyn. My mom was raised in Pennsylvania, small town Pennsylvania. So, um, and their values were very sort of, uh, I would say, mi- um, straightforward, middle-of-the-road, uh, honest, uh, in you know, American values. Okay. And, um, you know, we had to get good grades, and we had to dress well, and we had to have our hair combed, and we had to, you know, be polite and have good manners. I mean, yeah, we... We had nothing to do and I would say one of the one of the hallmarks of my father is that uh he was home every night by you know five thirty or six o'clock. I was just gonna ask he you. Was was not, okay. He was was distinguished himself a little bit of that in that Hollywood community in that he was very much a um a person who sort of did his job but really wanted to be with his family and, and cared about raising his family too.
0: Now you obviously because you're a composer, so when did you realize first off that you were musically inclined and mm-hmm. and and how and how did you tie the two did did the influence of your dad being in the business <coughs> take the music that that you had inside of you and tie that into actually the business i'm just curious how yeah. that all came together
2: no that's a great question i uh, i would say look when we were young uh speaking about values we were all uh required to play piano. We all had to have piano Which lessons. I wish that's the uh, I do you know what in, in, in you hindsight no, I didn't and I You're, and I hated it cuz I was an outside kid.
0: Uh, and I think oh, it was just outdoors. because I couldn't I couldn't focus and I so I think it was just I always wanted to be outside hitting a golf ball yeah. or, or kicking a soccer ball or football or yeah. baseball. I just I couldn't sit indoors. But mm. in in hindsight, I wish I would have learned how to play the I'm piano. I'm
1: getting I'm I'm getting an organ from my brother-in-law because I want to I play the guitar a little bit yeah. but like I'm like I just want to teach myself how to play a little bit of piano like yeah. I know I can do it I just want to figure it out Yeah, because I that was something I wish my mom would have been like because she made me take guitar lessons which oh. I loved and I appreciated Did you
2: want to take guitar?
1: I didn't really care and then yeah. when I started taking it I was into it and then two years out, like a fourth grade to sixth grade I was like oh this is great the guy came to the house yeah. and I was learning like Tom Dooley and sure. stuff like that and then after that I was like I started my musical taste. I started to listen to like Van Halen and, yeah. and I was like, I don't want to play this shitty old nylon string guitar. Yeah. I don't want to play the guitar anymore. My mom was like, well, why didn't you pick, pick up electric? She goes, <laughs> that's what she goes. She goes, what if I buy you a new guitar? Yeah. Will you still play? I go, well, yeah so like i try to pick out like a flame stevie steve vi like <laughs> yeah. i'm like this ten thousand dollar i'm like i want this yeah, and I'm she's just, like put me. that fucking back you idiot <laughs> and she goes and gets this kramer that was like a, a thin hollow-bodied acoustic electric kramer right. and eddie van halen played a kramer and it was in all the guitar magazines i was like yeah 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 <laughs> so i still have that I, I, the guitar's kind of busted but i mean i still have like that guitar and the guitars i've accumulated over the years but i still wish i would have played piano along with that because I think they go hand in hand and I think if you can play the piano you can...
2: You know what's so funny about this conversation? Being a musician and a pianist uh, is I hear something like this a lot. A lot of adults I speak to, oh, I wish I played when I was a kid. But you go ask any kid, They're I don't want to play piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's Vienna. so funny. I mean, I just think that's well, this generation. You kind of be forced to do it. it.
1: It's like, when, you know, yeah. I, don't want to, I didn't want to brush my teeth or take a shower yeah, when right. I was a kid. But I'm yeah, glad, but my, parents, end up toothless but I'm glad my parents made me so that I don't, yeah, I have my teeth and I can go out in public and not
0: stink. But, yeah. Yeah, but I also I mean, do believe right. that like you two, unlike me. There's something inside of you that makes you musically inclined. It's not like oh. I didn't try to play instruments. Mm-hmm. It just never, never, it never caught on. It didn't click with me. Well, so, uh, here,
2: uh, here's an interesting story re- relating to that. We were required to play piano. Mm-hmm. My mom was very strict about many things, and that was one of them. And uh, I, of, 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 of the four of, uh, of us, me and my siblings, liked it the least. We had to start at age five. And we had traditional piano lessons, and I had to practice a half an hour every day, six days a week. I got one day off. I still remember this. And my mom used to set one of those egg timers. You know what those are? Yeah. (laughs) 30 (laughs) minutes. Ah, Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when the thing rings, it's so loud. (laughs) And I mean, I would hear that thing ticking, and I'd have to fill up that half an hour, and I I just hated it. And um, it's really an interesting story. Because it doesn't seem like the pathway to somebody who would end up right. choosing to decide yeah. to have a life in music. Here's a guy who's going to take a job smashing pianos with hammers. Right. Older, <laughs> like, like, yeah, or Anything. Yeah. Uh, but sure enough, uh, when we moved uh, out of the house we were living in... Uh, they had to put the piano in storage because we moved into an apartment, and there was an apartment, and there wasn't enough space. And that was the greatest day of my, yeah. my like, life when I was a child because I was like thinking, okay, I don't have to play. <laughs> piano until they anymore. took you down <laughs> to the storage space yeah. and made you play down there. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Sure enough, we uh, we moved back into a house a year or two later. They brought the piano back, and then was just sitting there. And my mother wasn't requiring us to do it anymore. I think I was probably about twelve. At the time, and then I don't know what happened, Brian. But I asked my folks if I could get piano lessons, but if I could find my own teacher.
0: I think I think did you would you notice that the girls paid attention to the guys that played piano in movies?
2: Uh, you know, the I cool wish I guy, could. Right? I wish I could say that that was what was was <laughs> impelling me. But it, you know, it but w- there was because then there must have been something
1: there. Like even though you hated it, there's something that stuck where you were like, if I could just do it my way. Instead of being forced and have it be a thing that is is like a discipline, if I can just do it, get
2: my own teacher, like you said. I think what it is 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 what what if if I if I analyze it in the best way I can now, many many years later, I would say that f- now and always in my life, when I listen to music, I always have this reaction that I want to be able to do that. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm sure, sure, I mean, everybody has that reaction about something. Sure. But when I listen, and and the early records that I'm talking about is like the Elton John records. Yeah,
0: well, that would be a very, yeah, he was huge,
2: huge, He was huge, huge. and, you know, my parents didn't have a huge record collection, but that was one of the records that I remember hearing, you know, certainly the greatest hits, you know, and and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and uh, Saturday Night's All Riot for Fighting, and all Benny and the Jets. I mean... I remember playing those records over and over and not really understanding in my, you know, 12-year-old brain, like, lyrically, real directly, like, okay, that I want to be able to go and do that. But I remember feeling something that must have told me, like, hey, can I get pianos? And something happened. Well, I can know? tell you
0: what it was. This, about that age is when Dudley Moore started making really huge movies with ladies, and he played the piano in <laughs> all of them, and wow. he was awesome and hilarious, and he was suave, and... It was Dudley Moore. I'm going to say, you may or may not know it, but Dudley Moore <laughs> okay. changed your life forever. But, but Elton...
1: Well, thanks uh, no. for that clarity. Actually, I would, <laughs> say, I would say it was Elton John, like, because that is, piano-wise, I mean, he that and is... and Billy
0: Joel, that was kind of like they... Elton John they, first, then Billy Joel yeah. kind of rolled now, in, and Billy these were Joel, very successful
2: com- or yeah, comedians. Yeah, my sisters art loved Billy musicians. Joel. Yeah. You know, when I got older, I really kind of took a, a liking to his music, but that age, I didn't so much. It was really more guys like Elton John, and... Um, you know, to make a long story short, I ended up finding a teacher, and he was a composer and a jazz pianist. And so he c- and he knew who I was. And when I walked in his door, he basically—I think—he saw a younger self of who he, a younger version of who he used to be. I mean, he didn't teach he you in a traditional me. way. Right, I, mean, I mean, when you're when what, you're like you, when,
0: a lot of them it's like, "Gonna play Bach now," I'm "Gonna play." That's it, right. And, it, yeah, it, like, it wasn't. So a, he saw you, and all right, I can get to the. I know what this
2: kid wants. He kind of wanted to know what did I want to play. Yeah and and if he sort of he had a book of pop songs that he had sketched out from um that he had just transcribed which means to basically take down by ear mm-hmm. from you know the popular songs in the in the 80s yeah um so he opened that bit up, and, and he, he and I was like thrilled. I was yeah. like, "Yeah, I want to play all these. This songs. is what I want to learn. is the, yeah. the music I want to play. Uh, yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, if you want to excite children about music, you gotta you gotta reach them with what they're interested. Uh, yes, is. you can't force some old shit that they don't might not like no. at the time. Like let, let them discover let, that let, as they. That's go. right. You know, if they play video games, they're going to want to play the song that they love that goes on in the background of the video game. You do that, and they're going to you are going to watch your kid who says he'd rather be outside go and practice. Yeah,
1: right. and then and then from there you learn like you, like I said, you go backwards. Like I I, became, I took these guitar lessons, whatever. I started playing the music I want to play. From there, yeah, I went backwards and could listen to like classical guitar playing and be sure. like, oh wow, that's yeah, have an appreciation, a, a stronger appreciation
0: for it, knowing what I knew at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But okay, so you learn. Piano, right? But now, was your goal to be a musician and be in a band and, and a performer that way? Yeah. Is
2: that is that is that the arc that we're seeing? No, that's an coming interesting here? question. Uh, you know, not in those early days. All I knew, you know, all I all that's ever guided me is uh, uh, that magnetism. Okay, I've, I've just you know, like I've just followed my passion my whole life, and I never I. I I mean, as I got older and had to make decisions about, you know, adult decisions and find my way, yeah, oh, sure, sucks. I sort of... That adult shit decision. sucks, yeah. doesn't it? God, I'm bringing the showdown, day. Tomorrow <decisions. laughs> on adult decisions. Should I get <laughs> my taxes done early? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, You know, when I had to do that, I figured that out. But all, the, the path was just following what I loved. And so in my teen years, I just wanted to learn to play. And so that's what I did. And then when I was 19, uh, 20... I, I was you know, I was sort of two years into college, and I took a year off because I, I just had this instinct I needed to stop I, 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 stop everything for a minute you know i 'd been on this moving train that I had no control over my whole life, right school, uh, the direction my parents pushed me in, all of that. I was in college now, and I was like, "Hold on, wait a minute, I need to think, I need to think here. So I took a year off from college. And uh, I just went and lived in Portland, Oregon for a while, oh. and then why, I came- Why Portland? How would you end up in Portland? Because uh, the-, the girl I was dating was going there. Ah, we right. go. Always <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. which
0: Dudley Moore movie was it? Like, <laughs> to
2: Portland for the girl. Okay. it was a piano recital yeah. in Portland, <laughs> Arthur. <III. laughs> and, and she was moving out there because she had a bunch of friends who went to Lewis and Clark. You know, and so they, she, you know, she had a place to stay while she was, yeah. it was just a different place to go, mm-hmm. you know, and we, and we were going to school in Connecticut at the time. So we went out there, I lived out there for five, six months, I was waiting tables, uh, practicing music, because there was a piano in the house I was in, and just hanging around, living life, you and know?
0: And this is the, uh, this is the uh, late 80s? Uh, no, this was um, 91. 91. Yeah. Did you have a mullet? No. Okay, I was just curious, what kind of hairstyles you were sporting? Uh, Actually, you know what, I did. Were you a long
2: hair guy? Uh, I, did yeah. I did have long hair. I yeah, did have long hair, and then in Portland, I shaved the side. Yeah, here, yes. story here, 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 here. Come on, Thank wait. This, it's just about to get good, guys. He <laughs> <laughs> looks just for the for the listeners. He looks like a regular guy. The day after I job at a restaurant, the okay. day after <laughs> I shaved the sides of my head but left the top long. Yeah, going yes. all the way back. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that's a tone Not a Tony Mader. Yeah. That's a b- Brian Bosworth. Yeah, you.
0: did
1: you? Did you do lines in the side? I didn't. It was just
2: straight shaved. Just and then I would just Oh, of hey the guys, restaurant was respectable when I was respectable. When I went in for the job, I tied it back with a ponytail. Kept PT'd it neat and clean, dude, you know?
1: You keep that PT on, <laughs> yeah. dude. You can wait on anybody.
0: So what you're saying is in Portland, ponytails were very, that was considered classy stuff?
2: Um... Maybe this
0: is a this is a hippie Let's with just purpose. Say
1: that haircut didn't get him fired in Portland.
2: <laughs> yeah, they got
1: me a couple at a looks. restaurant. He's yeah. waiting tables. You <laughs> yeah. know what I
2: mean? So it's like yeah, right. anywhere else, he'd be like, dude, you can't fucking wait yeah.
1: tables with that guy. It wasn't hair. exactly
2: a four star restaurant where they're serving <laughs> yeah. high French, yeah. you know, oat cuisine. Yeah, here's your cheese sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry oh, about did the you hair. Oat oh, cuisine? Yeah, I said, oh yeah, I used did that the, even the exist? <laughs> um, all right, so at right, so 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 like that point, so yeah, and then and then before you know, like half the year I spent there, and then half the year I came back to L. A. And I went and saw that guy who used to teach me. Okay. You know, I went and saw him and sat down and I was like, you know, let's talk. I need to figure out some stuff here. And he really helped me figure out. You know, I said, I think I want to pursue music. You know, I think I want to pursue that as like a path as my career. You know, I've been studying for two years at a university and I'm doing this. were you studying music? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I was certainly taking lessons. I've been always taking lessons. But it wasn't a music university. No, but uh, no, it was a liberal arts college and they had a good music program there, you know, but it wasn't a conservatory. Um, And, I was just getting the sense that I wanted to get more serious about this. And he helped me figure that out. And he said, you know, if you want to be serious, then you got <coughs> to buckle down. You know, you're already 1920. You know, the people who are sort of going to make a career in music have probably uh, been working at it with some seriousness through their teen years. Jesus. It's a, well, it's a young wow.
0: person's career a bit. in many respects well, when you're looking yeah, at it yes, from the, his but, standpoint. Right? Well,
2: it depends. I mean, if you're looking for a career in pop... And if you're right. looking for a big, if you're looking for st- stardom, yeah, I sure, mean, that starts, yeah. it's like an athlete's game. I mean, you know, you're usually going to peak Bieber. in your 20s and, and you're usually sort of winding down through right. your 30s, right. unless you, you figure out ways to con- extend your career being a producer or a songwriter or, you know, something like that. you like, yeah, you're horrifically talented, like, like, like David Taylor, Bowie. Or, yeah, or, David know? Bowie, right. Yeah, there are some people. But you know, <laughs> if you're a singer, your voice does start, to, does start to deteriorate and your range goes away. That's what and, happened to me. <laughs> so I, I'm saying my voice. As a whatsoever. player, no, not so much, you know. But, anyways, he was like, you need to buckle down and get serious. And he helped sort of make a plan. And he's like, you're going to need to start practicing three hours a day. You know, and I was like, "What? What? Hey, you know, I wasn't he mom. Yeah. Like, this is not what I. Wanted. I wasn't a stranger. He pulled to, out an egg timer. You're like, no, "Yeah." No, 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 no. <laughs> I wasn't a stranger to practice, but that was. And he he, he sort of saying, "These are the things you're going to need to work on. You're going to really need to start shoring up your skills. And and you know, he was like, "You're going to need to start getting up in the morning. And he's like, "Do it in the morning. Get it done. Don't leave it till the end of the day. Cause that is my philosophy, so he baby. Was, he was helping." build out a plan for me. And then during that year, I went to the Grove School of Music, which was basically a vocational music school here in the Valley that was originally founded by Dick Grove, who was a great music educator. And it was staffed with, um, with um, session players. Oh, wow. You know, which is like- The best. The
0: best. They can play anything
2: that's yeah. right these and, would be
0: all the guys that would play like with Sinatra and stuff like that down in Capitol uh, Records or, or, and but, just, but anybody anybody any who comes record, into a major yeah. recording I mean, studio is like we
1: need we need it? trumpet players Ma- we need the guitar players we need yeah. Cause cause and these
0: guys show up like we do it a lot of stuff up, like, was made this stuff oh was my god, god. I mean, tons I mean, this of music is, yeah. yeah this
2: is the center yeah you know so all all the best players who get called on sessions whether it's whether it's a session for Frank Sinatra I mean more likely sessions for like Michael Jackson big pop artists at the time
1: G. Smith you know G. Smith or G. Smith G. Smith is like a like a really famous session guy who just plays on—he's on like every
0: record that came out, sure. out of the seventies and eighties. Yeah. You're like, okay, and these were your teachers. Well, that's
2: right. They—they—they they, they, they taught all kinds of um, instrumental class, ear training class, theory class, um, harmony, all kinds of all kinds of music-oriented classes at Grove. And man, I'll tell you, talk about the the clouds parting and the sun coming through. I used to fall asleep in my classes in high school and college. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I was baby basically bored, right. and I would fall asleep. You didn't asleep. care. You didn't care. You had no passion for what they were telling you. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not. It wasn't out of disrespect. I think it was just you know your eyes glaze over and you start to drift into sleep. Man, I was so wide eyed in these classes. I was raising my hand. I, you know, it was apparent that I was finally in a place where I was like ignited, and yeah. electrified, and I was. I, wa- I I just wanted to soak it all up. I wanted to learn everything I could. I learned more in those four months. for five months. I was there. at Grove school. Probably than I'd learned in you know years of schooling and and then and then that was it, man, that was sort of like that was the that sort of broke the ice, and that was the path forward and and
0: no longer for you was it worried about how much time I put in. Is it, you get to oh, that certain no. point where you don't even think about the three oh, hours, no. twenty minutes. Oh, to, you know, no, no, like no. It's no. all of a sudden
2: it's in you, and you're yeah, you're just the, doing it. By the time I was, you know, in my early twenties, I was practicing music eight hours a day because you loved it, and because it I loved it, it, it you. and you know, I was you. serious. Yeah, and, and yeah. it
1: didn't even you, you weren't like, well, eight hours. I got to do eight hours. You were like, well, you were
0: practicing. You want to be the best, okay? You know, you
2: want to be the best. Now
0: you became driven, you were like, oh yeah, this
2: is what I'm doing. You're motivated. What did you do for money though when you're practicing that much? Look, I'll tell you, I made more money than most of my friends, and I'll tell you why. Because at the same time, when I sat down with that, that mentor here in L.A., he said, not only are you going to start practicing, he's like, you're going to start teaching as well. And I was like, what? Ah, You know, I was like 1920. 20. I had never taught anybody music. I was like, wait a minute. I'm like trying to get better here. How am I going to teach? He's like, stop. He's like, you need to not only sort of study music but you need to start building a career in music and this is gonna be your first step he was really helpful and i was intimidated i was like how, how can i teach anybody he's like it's fine go get beginning students trust yeah, people who've never yeah, yeah. they don't know uh, a c scale they don't know the names of the notes they, they can't play a little lamb he's like you can teach beginning and and early intermediate students and so i just listened to his advice. i put ad in the ads in the recycler which is what yeah. you did at the time yeah <laughs> holy <laughs> shit yeah and um Slow and behold, I got five or six students, and you can charge us good money for that. You know, it's better than working a job at a movie theater or anything And you're like involved you get... in music the whole time. Yeah. And
1: even when you're teaching, you're still playing. That's and right. Still...
2: So I don't know what I was charging for a lesson, maybe 25 bucks. But Where were you we uh, living at the time? I was living with my folks.
0: Okay, you, were. you know, so, so would no you teach at their house anything. and all that?
2: stuff? No, I would go to there. Yeah, you, oh, that's yeah, what you yeah, do. yeah, okay. Yeah, I drive to their house, and it's actually good because you can charge more when you go to a student's house as opposed yeah. to them <laughs> going to yours. Yeah, <laughs> taking notes. It, and, I'm taking notes. And on.
1: and it's better than having a bunch of weird kids come over to your
2: place. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just go <laughs> but, there. Yeah, these are actually adults. Yeah. Oh I was, wow. Yeah, it was mostly teaching. I know I taught a couple kids, but they were mostly adults because you know the kids aren't reading the recycler there, John. Oh,
1: but I thought like a parent would read that and be like, "Hey, teach my kid." But yeah. So
2: when when. <laughs> then when I got when I get got back to college because my folks were like you're going back to college you did finishing. go back to okay. yeah my, yeah they said yeah I got to go back and finish up and I went back and I, I became a music major but I went back and I was teaching lessons so I was making more money you know remember it's not like I was making a ton of money but no. I now I was doing gigs and I was teaching. So I was making a lot, you know, probably more money than most of my peers who were working jobs at like the pizzeria, right? Shit that they never, what they the didn't want to do, they yeah, right? Absolutely you, you, were doing gigs. What do you mean, Yeah, I was going to say Live you, playing
1: when you now were you in bands or were you
2: yeah. solo? Did you just play both. wherever or both? You okay. what, what I did is did you when play I, at the mall at Christmas. Uh, well, not at the mall, but I would do like um, I would play at hotels, I played parties. You know, I started putting my name out there to do solo jazz gigs, solo jazz piano, um, and uh, and then I also played in bands. And usually they were more. like like jazz bands because I was studying jazz very seriously so we would do uh, play small jazz events and small okay. jazz venues same hairstyle still? no, no. Okay. You, right. grew this, yeah. you grew out the sides?
1: you uh, grew out the sides?
2: yeah I mean, no by this time by the time I sort of got a little I buckled down I don't know I guess the Dave f- didn't realize we're going to ask a lot about his <laughs> <hair styles. laughs> yeah, right, it's good. No. the podcast
1: <laughs> is called Hairdo's yeah. Throughout Your Life yeah. <laughs> these are your hair we bring them back <laughs> out
2: that's good. You guys, yeah, we should have gotten some photos together so we could kind of look back at the time. <laughs> but we island.
1: just we just superimpose bad haircuts <laughs> on all our guests. We take one picture doesn't of matter you. What, and you just,
2: what you say? Hey, yeah. Brian, did you ever have long hair?
0: I can't. Oh, you, uh, your hair my, will stop growing after... No, my hair... Because oh. it was curly? I try, oh. try growing them all I try It goes more into like... It goes... It goes, like it, goes like it goes. It goes out. No, no, no. no. You, Tanner's hair is amazing. Do you remember Juan... I it gets curly. Do you remember it it does, Juan? He's got good curls. He's oh. got soccer curls, surfer curls. I had like confused, confused, Do you remember Juan
1: Epstein from angry, Welcome Back, yeah, Carter? I had that. And it was kind of like a Juan Epstein. Yeah. Like it grew... Useless. It grew...
2: Out, out and not never down. down. Are you going to post that on Facebook for us? There's, There's a couple. Of, yeah, he's he's mind.
1: a real big fan of de- degrading himself <laughs> yes. online. I
2: know. I saw it's the like, Valentine's it's Day. He's like, really into it. <laughs> it was good. It was heartfelt, man. It was honest. <laughs> There's not enough truth in the world, Brian. And you, you gave us some of that. It was good. <laughs> Uh, but
1: when, can I, I just wonder, when you were, uh, what, what kind of bands did you play with when you were in all well, well, types or?
2: Well, no, I mean, I would say, look, at uh, this phase that we're talking about in my, you know, like, very early 20s, when I got back, I was a little bit of a jazz snob. Okay. You know, and, um, you know, you, some people go through that. You get snobby about like, sure, oh, sure, I sure. Play, You know, because I was very serious about, I, <sighs> I saw jazz as a way to, to really um, augment my skills, You know, not only because uh, it was very demanding in terms of the improvisation, you're basically having to create melodies instantaneously, right? Improvise them, but your ability to. Uh, use harmonies, improvise in terms of harmonies, the kinds of chords you play along while other people are playing. Just the breadth of knowledge and the skill set you need to execute it on the instrument is quite deep. It it seemed like uh, that was going to be a path that was going to allow me to kind of go forward as far as I needed to go. Uh, and 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 learn my skills. So I was very serious about jazz, and that's that at the time was all I really listened to. And I, I foolishly like well, look no, down on you, a lot of other but stuff.
1: But you're, again, you're 20 years old. Yeah, right. I didn't know anything. And, and, and as smart as you were, and as driven as you were, and as as uh, the more knowledge you had than some of your friends, even about jazz, or whatever you did, miss out on some other stuff because you're 20 and you're a dipshit in that regard. Like you can't. Nobody in their 20s can help it. You just can't. You're going to be like, I know everything. I got, I I know. No, it's jazz. You guys are all idiots over there. And then
2: later on, you're like, oh no, no, I guess there's some validity to that. And I guess, oh, I guess that music's here to stay. Yeah. I mean, that's been the arc of my life since that time. It's just sort of discovering how, how, how much great, all this stuff is yeah, great. Yeah, there's all this stuff that. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I mean, I I've so that, at the time things. I was very serious about that, and that's those are the bands that I played in. I played in, you know, jazz almost bands. yeah, ex- almost exclusively, you know, jazz bands. And then as I got older, uh, I, I I let that go. I I I, I lost that snobbery, and so what be- you're saying because is my pat- more my, my interest in music <laughs> was very varied, and <clears> I just I just stopped being. Um, um close minded yeah close minded well the right so word. which
0: is which <laughs> would bring me to a, a transition question which is when you when you 're not closed minded anymore because of the fact that you you 're doing scoring hmm. you kind of uh, you have to pull from a editing. wide variety because mm-hmm. you 're helping tell a story, yeah, so if you only believe in one style of music that 's really hard if you if the if the, if the story doesn't fall within mm-hmm. the, what your beliefs are musically, right? So, the, I guess it's starting with that question, um, and then going back a little bit is how did you? Where, where did the transition? When did it happen? Yeah, transition where you were like, to all film scoring. The, yeah, yeah. To, to go. I'm going to score because that's that's a very unique decision, right? And did
1: did your did your kind of mentor friend help with that decision oh, sure. as well? Yeah, like, he was a composer, so, so you were like television. He great, was what a okay. great thing. Yeah, yeah. To I mean, at that,
2: at the time, he was a, a very active session player. Okay, this is the 80s, so the climate. Miami <laughs> Well, this is no, you're right. This is the early 90s. I'm sorry. Oh, but the uh, the I, 80s and I, then er, and then the ni- early 90s and mid 90s, you know, um, Manimal, <laughs> no? yeah, exactly. Manimal
1: was a Manimal. show.
2: <laughs> Look it up, everybody. <laughs> I think it, it never was won an Emmy, snubbed <laughs> by the oh, no. Emmys, snubbed, <laughs> uh. Yeah, there's a lot of great 80s programming we <laughs> could just sit Top here and Rock talk about. Rock was on, I think in the <laughs> 80s. Rock, yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, so he was doing score.
2: Oh yeah, well none composing, of that. I'm sorry, yeah, composing. he was a session player um, and and a composer. And you know, a lot of guys made a great living as session players at the time. That's that doesn't exist as much anymore be, because the the industry changed. And that's another topic. But at the time, most of the scores were played by small ensembles or large ensembles of live players. You know what I'm saying? So so uh, if you had a show like Roseanne, um, it would be usually be played by a small combo section, but those were all live players, and the okay. composer would write out charts for all those people to play. So just so I'm Whoa. clear about
0: the difference between uh, uh, mm-hmm. doing a score and... I mean, when you say a composer, it's one and the same, correct? The composer is actually Composers creating the, yeah, the, person the music. You the score is score. what
2: you make. That's correct. <clears throat> the sco- okay. That's right. The score okay. is the musical narrative that plays behind, uh, underneath the drama or comedy on screen. Right. Okay. That's correct.
1: What, is, what do you find easier to write for, drama or comedy?
2: Ooh. that's a good question yeah oh, I he
1: feel stumped
0: like him we finally yeah. stopped. I'm gonna him. get out of
1: here everybody I'm gonna <laughs> leave on a high note that'll be the smartest yeah, thing drop I down. ask all day
0: what was okay well let's start this way what was okay so all of a sudden you're like I'm Wait, gonna let, start let doing me, this let me start back yeah, at yeah, yeah, Brian's yeah. question please sorry you yeah, know, what really was the first do. thing you did and how did how did you
2: feel? And so, cause that's... Let, let me go back a step. Okay. Uh, because, you know, after I finished schooling, uh, I moved to New York City. Because oh, I, oh, I went okay. to school in Connecticut, and I moved down to New York City and continued to study uh, with jazz players down there, like Jackie Byard and Roland Hanna. You got to understand, Charles Mingus... You, uh, I know that name. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. F- f- one of the most famous figures in, in, in jazz, American, jazz, American jazz history, um, was a a great jazz composer, a, a, a well, very well-known jazz bass player, and I—I I was something about his music, the potency of it, the rawness, the and 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 his the way he structured his compositions and the playing on his compositions. This the the blues and the the blue the way the blues were a component of his jazz language always spoke to me very powerfully. And both Jackie Byard and Roland Hanna were pianists who were accompanists for the Charles Mingus ensembles. So I sought them out. They're just, I mean, talk about the epicenter of jazz uh, in America. I mean, right. you could go to New York and find the best players. And that's what I was doing. I moved down to New York. I mean, I was originally from New York, so it made sense for me to go there. And I sought both of them out and I took lessons with them, which was amazing. You know, I mean, it's. And and the the great thing about jazz is that it's not like say you're a fan of pop music you can't go get a lesson from no. you know <clears throat> Michael Jackson or <clears throat> Billy Joel yeah. or Elton John or, it just <clears throat> or David Bowie no yeah. i mean but you know in jazz you can go to the biggest superstars and meet them at the clubs like the Village Vanguard or Blue Note or wherever you go and talk to them after and um get be, get friendly and they're usually have been teaching a lot, and during their lifetime, and they knew the road that they spent a lot, many, many years learning from masters, and and so that's what it was. I mean, th- in many ways, jazz has always been an, an oral tradition in America. Ooh, sure, and by oral, I mean it's being passed down from person to person. It's not just something that you're going to learn from a book or a record. Even though learning from records is a principal way that musicians learn from, but so I learned from them, and I was playing a lot of jazz. And then I started accompanying for the Alvin Ailey Ailey, um, American Dance School, which was right behind um, Lincoln Center, and the Martha Graham School of Contemporary Dance, Uh, because these were jobs that I could get in addition to teaching and playing gigs, where I could use my my ability to play piano to make some money. Um, And so that's what I was doing. I was sort of trying to scrape together a living, doing all these sort of small disparate jobs and it's tough in New York because being poor artist in New York is a lot tougher than being a poor artist in many other places in, sure, in, yeah. in the country sure
0: yeah so it's not that easy here <coughs> no but it ain't cheap definitely <coughs> it's no, cheap no no in yeah new york.
2: yeah it was a little easier in la i would say i mean pro- properties and rentals were cheaper you know when i first got out here in the yeah. late 90s i mean you know for instance people used to just post signs for rent on the front of the property i mean we could still drive around and you'll see a for rent sign i mean you don't see that in new york no you have to yeah. hire a, a <laughs> that, yeah you got to pay somebody yeah, like a thousand dollars to look for the newspaper to find a place that's to, right
1: it's a huge scam man. oh it is
2: you usually have To pay a a real estate person to find you a rental.
1: Yeah, no. Here you just you're right. That's a good point. You just either look on Craigslist or go online or just ask somebody or like. And it was cheaper. But do do you think that like you talk about um, going and finding the people that you know you respect and taking lessons from them? Yeah. Do you think that kind of uh, that kind of thing is is has changed with the internet, or do you think that's still? Like, would you recommend doing that now, or is it... Oh, it, definitely. Yeah.
2: I, you know, you ask a great question, because I think something extraordinary has happened. I mean, now I sound like an old person, but well, some, something really, truly extraordinary has happened with, for, for instance, with YouTube and, and music lessons. Or, or, or learning about anything with YouTube is really amazing. Anything. Anything, Anything. You, can, you can learn magic tricks. You can probably learn to do comedy, but, at least in, in a rudimentary way. My
1: friend soldered, pipe, never done pipe work before. Soldered all his plumbing pipes in his right. basement with a with his soldering iron in one hand and his phone in the
2: other with a YouTube yeah. video. I mean, I believe that I'm necessarily not necessarily going to ask him to come solder my pipes. No, 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 no. no actually, that was the thing. I go, you know, no one's <laughs> going to sounded very sexual, me by, to by the way. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going like, to come asking to solder my it. pipes. He didn't have any problems. I mean, no, you're uh, that's exactly a, that's right. a handy thing to be able to do. Oh, I mean, I couldn't. And you know, I would say. Uh, one of the there's definitely been an explosion with music lessons online, and and it's good mm. quality stuff. I know. I'm a I'm a career musician. I yeah. taught for 15 years. I mean, I know. And and there are people who are really dedicated and and take great pains in showing you very gradually. And you and the wonderful thing is, if you're a self starter and you're self motivated, you can type in exactly what you want to learn. Like if you want to learn this song,
1: the, yeah, there'll be a and it's usually like a <laughs> kid. It's usually a yeah. kid. like, This is how you do it. And I'm always like. Well, thank the universe for people like this that yeah. are willing to sit down because yeah. they don't gain. I'm not paying them, right? But but they're sitting down and they're like you said. Sometimes it's painstaking. It's just okay. This is how you do it, yep. and it's patient and it's like okay. And you can stop and pause and yep. rewind and and it's. I'm like thank. Thankfully, people sit down and take the time to yeah. do this because, I mean, everyone else will be like, I have this little gift over here. I'm not sharing it with anybody. And then, right,
2: it is. It's it's amazing <laughs> what it's what it's offered. Uh, People learning music now. I mean, I'm going to stay on the topic of music since that's what we're here to talk to. And I go to it still to learn something about an instrument that I don't play readily, to learn more technique on, or even if I want to sharpen my chops in one area, say of a style of playing piano that I don't typically do, I can go and you know um, increase my fluency by watching some of those videos. Back to your question though about learning from a master, yes, there's always a place for that. I would say that there's a lot of work that you can do individually, say with YouTube videos um, or, or or whatever kind of uh, learning you're 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 getting done in school. You know, it's sort of music uh, lessons. Uh, you can do an extraord, you can advance yourself an extraordinary amount. But I, but like any. Uh, field there are there's wisdom and and a, a certain a sort of um, bag of tricks that you can really usually only learn from a master life well, too life I mean, yeah, life, life is kind of like right. it's yeah. k- like like your your mentor
1: guy I had a guitar teacher who was like that he just some lessons he would just talk about life you sure. know what I mean and it was like i don't know that's helpful to have
0: somebody well it's huge too it that's that's, that's that's really what a mentor is though right that's someone that um, is, takes a it, larger
2: role yeah is yeah.
0: actually willing to share you know, what they have, especially like when you're talking about some of these guys in New York that you you sought out, they could just as easily say, you know what, kid? Yeah. Take a hike. I ain't got time to be sharing my stuff with anybody. I want to just focus on what I do and live my life. Anytime anybody's willing to give, you know, a part of what they've experienced – and and do it in a way that actually influences you, that allows you to still talk to them about about them to this day and how it's influenced you. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's and it's, it's not easy stuff. to find mentors, and you're not really going to find a, a mentor per se on YouTube. You can
2: get help, but it's not going to be a like, mentor like in the you same said, way you, that you're you talking about. You can learn about.
0: some things, yes, and, 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 but it's and not the same you, experience. Yeah. It's no, not it's the not. Same and, experience. and you know,
2: I would say I would say one critical thing that's probably not going to be easy to learn on YouTube is technique. You know in other words the the use of your hands on the instrument the the touch and the way to balance and distribute weight that's not going to be such an easy thing to learn. Uh, I would say that's still going to be easier to learn from a teacher I- in a room um, Especially when you're, it comes to classical technique, uh, because you have to, its, it's a part of it is mimic, and part of them is watching how you use your arms on the instrument. Um, but as far as learning repertoire, as far as learning imp- a certain approach to improvisational skills, as far as learning certain chord patterns, as far as learning a certain part of the um the vocabulary of uh, the language of music, you can certainly advance yourself on YouTube with videos. So I'm
0: listening. I'm listening to your story, right? Yeah. I'm listening to this podcast, yeah. and I'm a musician, and I'm interested in um, composing and doing scoring and stuff mm-hmm. like that. How, how, how does one? Started? How does one get into it? Yeah. How did? You say fine. Somebody yeah. tells you to go do it. That's one thing. But like, how did you? Now you're you're your own man. But yeah. how does someone actually get through it? Where did you start? <clears throat> like,
2: how does it? Well, okay. So I'll tell you. You know, the, really, I, when I look back, I realize that the first window in, when I was playing for the uh, Alvin Ailey and Martha Graham schools, um, I was accompanying visuals. It just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't on film, but it was, I was accompanying visuals. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the first sort of film scores uh, were opera and dance, ballet right going sure. back hundreds of years i mean they the music was taking a similar was playing a similar narrative or score role under a ballet or under an op well opera was really more like the modern day musical but well, certainly dance mm-hmm. you know and ballet but also wasn't like the first movie the great train robbery
1: wasn't that all wacky piano well right but i'm saying before the visual before the film before, mediums oh,
2: oh, you know, oh, oh, yeah composers oh, yes. were still oh, yes. functioning in this in yes this, in i this see this what role. you're saying yeah, yeah yes, they sorry, wrote yes. symphonic music that was just for the purposes <clears throat> of your ear but there were also there was always ballet not yeah that's right yeah. there was always the visual Opera, yeah. and um, and music combination you say in dance or I mean if you go back to vaudeville there were comedy routines that always sure. had music so for me I mean accompanying dance was kind of my first uh, experience performing for a visual medium you mm-hmm. know servicing m- musically providing a narrative for a visual medium okay. and um, you know when I, I moved out to Los Angeles I. I had an instinct that I wanted to write for film and television because you know you can make a living doing it as a composer. There's not a, not a lot it's 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 not an easy field to make a living in um in You know, being an artist in America, you know, being a sculptor, being a dancer, being a painter, being a a musician, these are fields that it's not as easy as making a living and providing for a family as being a doctor or a lawyer or a business person or any other of those fields. And so I was thinking, I know I want to be a musician for my whole life. I don't want to sit at a desk and do a job that doesn't matter to me. So, how am I going to make a living doing that? And it did seem like working in um the popular uh in pop in, in popular music was going to be the the road for me and whether that was going to be on the record side or on the film side that those that was going to be the path i was going to take and you know most composers that i know have worked both on and both the record and film side uh it just so happens that usually one side of their career takes off and they spend more time on it. And then, of course, because every, the way everybody's categorized, they, they get to know, Yeah, you become that. And you, you, if you end up spending more of your time and more of your projects come in like that, that's what you become known as. But it's not like you can't go arrange a string section for Adele. Right. If she called, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Um, right. If you should be so lucky. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> well, do you remember the first thing you did? Uh, first thing I did... Uh, as Scoring, composing.
2: Uh, uh, probably you know um the the first jobs would would have been yeah, probably a, a, a college film, you know, uh, probably the first yeah here 's one, one of the first jobs I did was for a, a a a really terrific writer who lives out here now named Bill Walkoff, who went to school with me at Wesleyan and he was in i think he was in the film program, and um, he did an animation film, most okay. of the film students there did you know whatever short film and usually live action, but he did an animation film. And it was like an animated silent film, and he what he wanted was a live he wanted to sort of do an animated film, but like in the in the style of a silent film where you had a live piano player, so he showed me a silent film, and I composed the score for it on piano, but in the style of you know silent film music yeah. and then it, you know to have it feel unique and then when he broadcast his film to the to the university for his thesis I went there and there was a piano there and I played it live okay. to picture oh it wow it was really a tremendous success we had a, v- a lot of fun doing it he's now a successful writer out here in Hollywood and uh, we keep in touch and, and it, it's, it's really wonderful to see that's great that's, that's probably one of my first jobs and then there were a couple other film scoring jobs I got there at Wesleyan because there were a lot of film students I don't know if you know that I went to Wesleyan University a lot of writers directors um, come out of that school because Janine Basinger who's a, a big big Time academic in the film music world, very close friends with Scorsese and um, Clint Eastwood, um, runs the program there. So, you know, film students who are looking to one day get into the business usually will seek out that program at Wesleyan. So, there is an interesting overlap, um, as it so happens. So, a lot of them are working out here in LA. But that was one of those were my first jobs. I did a couple other small films at Wesleyan as well. Now,
0: so when you're a composer, um, kind of similar Remember there was this whole thing um, You were either film Or you were TV And TV always seemed to be The low grade And sure. film was the That was the yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the, the highbrow yeah. stuff Right sure. and, and and did you Was that kind of The same thing When it came to composing That if you were kind of in, If you were composing for TV it was, You were just You know you were just a sandwich paycheck guy, and then if you were scoring for film, you were far more a part um, of the culture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, was that when you started, was that kind of the thing? Was that where everyone was trying to be the most successful film composer? Or it didn't matter. In in your field, mm. was one considered better than
2: the other? I love uh, we we stumped them again. Yes! Yeah, you know, you asked very thought provoking questions. I mean, I would say or did you not care? And a job was a job. That was probably going to be my answer. When you know, when you're getting started and you want to try to forge your path, it's whatever. Just like all way. of us, you want to just get working. You're not. You're not. You're not like, no, I won't accept your television series <laughs> that'll pay me a hundred thousand yeah. dollars for a year to do I something do film. that I love. Have you done any? Right. No, but yeah. someday. Um, uh, I, I was not. I did not look at that landscape that way. Okay, and good. and when I got started, there there's, there was ext- some really extraordinary scores happening in television, anyways. That a lot of us looked, you know, the, the composers of, uh, who we who we really look up to, and um, you Who's know, the, wh- a, the like somebody guy was really popular. Yeah, right? Mark Snow. Are you kidding? I mean, X Files was one of my favorite shows, uh, you know, in my twenties, and. Mark Snow was the guy behind it and he was on the cover like so I used to subscribe to Keyboard Magazine yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot about me no, but, <laughs> uh, I used to get I still have old guitar player now did they have it's a swimsuit issue like, like, uh, <laughs> unfortunately keyboards no keyboards and swimsuits they should have because there's a lot of overlap in the audience that, uh, <laughs> but I remember I mean you would occasionally start seeing you know composers on the cover of Keyboard Magazine I mean, certainly you'd see on the cover of Keyboard Magazine you'd see guys like uh, Herbie Hancock right yeah. or some of the big luminaries Rock piano, um, but Leon Russell and guys like that. But then you know uh, you would start to see guys like Mark Snow on the cover. Mark Snow was the, was the composer for the X Files, and uh, they would talk about you know how he you know what are the instruments that he uses to uh, create the score, and what is what does his studio look like, and what are his days like in terms of writing, and what are the challenges he faces, and so. Um, You know, yeah, composers would show up on on the cover of these magazines that were traditionally more geared towards, like, uh, the record side. uh, But to answer your question about film versus TV, because I think it's an interesting question, um, you know, I think film has that reputation partially because the scope and scale of what you get to do in film is still a little greater. In other words, it's more common that you'll get... An opportunity for to 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 record a live orchestra for a big film than say for a television show. Okay. Just because of the just because of the scale of a, a movie, and because of the budgets that are afforded for a single film right. Now, right. and by virtue of having a live orchestra play your music, there's certain there's a certain sort of weight and and uh, um, elegance and 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 and, 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 and and value that you get from that, as opposed to using sort of sample instruments or instruments that you create in your studio or smaller combo stuff, you know. has
0: that shift? So going back to mm-hmm. what's happened in film with this whole digital shift, has the same thing happened in, in on the music side of it? Is because okay. less less orchestras, more what do you, what do you have digitally to provide us? Has that have you seen that shift? And look, has it affected the finances as well?
2: I, look, I would say that. W- you you were talking about TV versus film, right? Mm-hmm. I, I remember I read this one book uh about the music business that kind of called like the the film business, the silver screen was sort of the million dollar table, right? And then they said like the television business was like the hundred dollar blackjack table. And then like the music business was the two dollar blackjack <laughs> table. You know, kind of like that's how they yeah. you know kind of broke it down in <laughs> sort of a fun way. Um but I, I would say that that, that exists a little bit, again, probably because of the budgets that are afforded, dif- the budget differences between a, f- a big studio film and a, a budget for a television series. However, as you know, as we call this the golden era, golden age of television, because of what's happening, particularly in basic cable and pay cable on television, with premier shows like Game of Thrones... But yeah. clearly that you're really watching really something that's more like a, more akin to a movie. Right, yeah, right. That, a, they're, a they're productions.
1: Average. I mean, that's the most expensive oh television show ever made at this point. It you seems I mean? like it. Yeah.
2: I mean, and there's a lot of them. There's some beautifully, beautifully... The production value on some of the shows on Stars and um, HBO and Showtime is really daunting. I mean, it's almost not fair that they're up for an Emmy uh, yeah, against other against shows, that shows that can't, are like... can't compete in, in terms right. of the budgets. But... With the, with the sort of the rising level of, of, of quality and um, production value and, and the talent that's, you know, I mean, you see a lot of these, like, um, what's the show... Um, House of Cards on Netflix oh my certainly God. with House of Cards and, and and what's going on with Amazon you know ha, what did they throw two hundred million dollars at the first two seasons <laughs> uh, of House of Cards and they got Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright yeah I mean the and, and the type of uh, and David Fincher I mean they're 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 just it's no longer I think what happens is to answer your question Brian in this modern it's really a great time because the the, the lines it's, between it's television almost, and film are starting to blur yeah okay the, the, even the, the the silver screen artists and directors who who were auteurs and sort of looked upon themselves as only working in film... Are doing ...do TV. not yeah. seem to have the same snobbery. They're happy to mo- cross those lines. I mean, what do we have? Like, with um, the first season on of, of the HBO show, the crime drama, what was it called? Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah, that's, <laughs> you got it. Um, no, Boardwalk no. Empire? Uh, no, no. Although the that Sopranos? was extraordinary. That was done by Scorsese, yeah. perfect example. Yeah. No, the... Um, you know, oh, oh really the t- detective. True detective. Uh, true detective, yeah. True detective, oh, yeah. Right. You know, you had two big silver screen actors in there, right? Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's just I. Th- I think that what's happening is you're getting a lot of t- uh, talent is crossing. W- the Talent is just going where the project is interesting, and where the they yeah. Can- I was just say where the content That's is right. good. Like, I mean, if content. somebody writes a badass show and
1: Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson read that and they're like, "Dude, yeah, this is like a right. eight part movie. Like, right. of course, let's do this because we'll yeah. only be involved in a season,
2: right? And then we're done. Yeah. Like, yeah. And are, look at what's happening to film. I mean, a lot of studio pictures are superhero films geared towards you know teenage. There's so many of those now right? that you're just like... And so the parts aren't maybe as juicy or as interesting. And like you said, eight-part, ten-part series, or if it goes multiple seasons. Okay, now as a, for an adult audience, it's not just a two-hour movie, but you get to live with these characters for four or five years, yeah. which is a very satisfying thing as a composer... It's incredibly satisfying to try to get on board one of those projects that's really a premier project that is as good and as interesting and as substantive and as uh, a, a, um, well-produced as any film out there. So that helps you, right? I mean, as a composer,
1: when you see a th- a something like, let's say you were going to compose for Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and, you, and you've seen the show, it's like, that helps you get motivated to be like, yeah, the show is super heavy and and it's got all these ups and downs, and, it, you know, it, it'd be more exciting to write for something like that, I would assume, than for, like, something that's, like, yeah. Doesn't well, have the same uh, Kevin, production value. And, and this a, isn't picking on Kevin Smith at all, but, like, a Clerks, which is, like, shot against, in black and white, against a brick wall, you know, you're like. Well,
2: it depends. I mean, you know, the thing is, as a composer, a <laughs> the, the, the thing, as a composer, really, I'm looking for a project that uh, inspires me you know, where I can have a voice. And whether it's a small indie film where the, sco- this, where the scale and the nature of the score is maybe smaller, but, but is telling a story that's equally as powerful versus some w- huge, wide-scale, big production, which needs a big, epic score. I mean, they're two entirely different things. Yeah. The, th- the, w- the only thing I'm interested in and, and what I care about is, do I have a point of view that I, that I want to bring to that? as a narrator, which is essentially what the score is. The, the composer is, 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 a, is a narrator mm-hmm. to the film. Um, or do I not? And if I'm excited by it, and I have a story to tell musically, uh, you know, in service of that picture, then that's w- what I'm interested in. It doesn't really matter to me the scale of it. So, which, which, <clears throat> which brings me to my
0: next question. I want to I uh, dissect this even more. Um, you're not just composing music... Um, in these in these films and television shows, there are layers to this. Correct. There could be a scene where you have to design a certain uh, sound, uh, a theme, and then there's characters that you also have to design. So you're you're when you get the raw footage, mm-hmm. and because that's what, I mean, let's take us through this process. Mm-hmm. So you get a movie mm-hmm. or a television show. There's nothing mm-hmm. You get this You have to watch it Do they give you notes Do they, mm-hmm. do, do they also send you something that says This is so and so's character This is what they're all about This is the arc we're trying to create mm-hmm. uh, All these things going through your head As you're watching and, and you have to design the music Specifically for a character Specifically for a scene Maybe one that, that grows as the film grows mm-hmm. are these, am, I, am I on the right track you are. As far as exactly. What you're thinking about When you get a project
1: And I want to add to that really quick Have you ever had to compose Strictly off a script or do you get to see something always first?
2: Okay. Uh, l- let me answer your question first, John. Because um, yours was easier. Mine was a very complex <laughs> was, and well- No, because I think layers. I can sort of pivot into <laughs> to Brian's... Um, what kind of hair hairdo did you have? The <laughs> <dress>? <laughs> what, what kind of hair do I have now? <laughs> Amazing. Pompadour. <laughs> pompadour? The, um, I, it's not common anymore for a composer to, to uh, uh, create a score to a script. However... Uh, when I'm um, demoing for a job, sometimes I, uh, all that exists is a script because the pilot has not been shot or is only being shot. And if I'm really excited by the nature of the project or the people behind it or the, the, the script itself, uh, I'll get inspired by what I read when I read the script. And, and many times I have uh, created uh, music on spec, like a demo, basically, um, that I send in you know, to audition for the job based on the script only. Although it's not common these days to write the score, a finished score for a feature or a television series to just a script. That's done, and this is where I can get to your question. The common route is that we'll get an edit, either a finished edit or a working edit of the um, picture. And uh, oftentimes there's already what's called a temp score Mm -hmm. in there, an attempt score is something that the editor and director have uh, placed uh, in the edit, which is pieces of music that they have gone and found from whether it's uh, usually they usually go into the existing archives Some of library of, right, right. It could be library music, it could be um, a film score that's from a movie that they love, the score from whatever whatever source they they go and they get it, and then they'll place it in to help. Um, Make sure. Like the reason they want to have a temp score in their edit is because they want to check the pacing, make sure that the pacing feels right. Because sometimes watching the picture without music versus having music in, you have a different experience. Oh, yeah. Then the the director and yeah. editor don't necessarily want to wait to fi- to to figure out if they have their pacing just right and their edit the way they want to um, until music is done. Sometimes once the music is in, sometimes they feel like oh. You know what? Maybe I edited this, edit, pushed the edit a little bit, and it's too fast paced. And the music is helping me along now. And I didn't rely. I could have relied on the the performances a little bit more, and just stuff. You know what I mean? Essentially, it's a, it's a it's a process of finding just the right uh, cut for it. Um, and and oftentimes editors and directors find it easier to do when they have a placeholder. Which placeholder score, which is what you call a temp mm-hmm. score, and so they'll they'll find a temp score that they either think is working well or maybe is not working well, but is servicing it in some way. It
1: reflects kind of the idea, general what idea. They want. Yeah. yeah.
2: Sometimes they say, "Oh, this works great," or sometimes they say, oh, "This doesn't work at all." But it's. Um, you know, it, it, it does something like we like, or it's in the general. It has using the instruments we like, or something, and and that can be also a, a, a jumping off point for a conversation with a composer about, you know, like this is where we want music to start. So so Brian, the, usually the first thing that happens is you'll sit down with the director or the producer, and you'll watch the the, the picture, and you'll talk about where, um, what kind of score they're looking for. What do they want? The, what do they want the the music to tell the viewers? What, what, what do you want to achieve? Do you want to con- what do you want to convey with the music? What kind of emotion? And the most helpful thing I find as a composer that, a, that um, a, a visual person, whether they're a writer, director, producer, can tell me is what emotionally do they want to convey? Don't tell me instruments. Don't tell me music. Because ha- some of them know music, some of them don't. Right. <laughs> and half the time, they're going to act... People want to... If they're going to speak authoritatively, especially if they're in charge... They're going to say things with certainty, but maybe they're using the wrong language, right. and that can only conf- that can usually confuse composers. Because if they said to something to you specifically using musical terms, you're not going to disregard that, you know, because you're working for them. Right. So yeah, they use crescendo wrong, <laughs> right, or tempo, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or or. or uh,
1: it's like going to talk to a mechanic if you know nothing about cars. You're just like, yeah, zoom zoom, and he goes, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, 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 yeah,
2: exactly. Just tell me what, what what's n- What's yeah. happening and what's not happening. Yeah. So if you speak to me in, in terms that we both understand, like emotion, um, it's gonna, I, my job at its core is to translate what's... It's, it's to take the idea or an emotion and turn that into music, right? Yeah. I'm a little Play-Doh machine that you basically put in that information, put in adjectives, and I can you screw, push push you, out music. Yeah. And that's really the... That's my job. Um, and so we'll sit and talk about it and then we'll talk about specifics, like where do we ha- where we'll call, we have a, what you call a spotting session. Where does music come in and where should music come out? Um, so you get into the specifics of, specifics of that. And then once you've done that, you know, I'll go back to my studio and I'll begin working on, um, the picture. And it just depends. If it's a television series and you've been working on it for a while, you know, the basic themes, mm-hmm. you know, the colors. But yeah, in the, the, one of the first things you do as a composer is figure out what's the palette. Yeah. You know, what kind of palette am I painting with here? You know, what are my instruments? Is this going to be acoustic? Is it going to be orchestral? Is it going to be a small band? Is it going to be all electric? Is it going to be synth? Is it going to be sort of found instruments and, and, and sort of eccentric colors? I mean, that's one of the things I enjoy most. Like, what that is sounds st- actually
0: really fun and cool that you have, you have. That's such a spectrum. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely.
2: I mean, and that's what you want to bring. You want to bring inventiveness. And, and none of that reality.
0: intimidates you. You've you've had enough experience oh. that all of those things you can find a way right at this point. But but that that take time. What, you just you just described a very broad spectrum.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> Look, that's the ex- one of the thrilling parts. I mean, what's intimidating is. Um, is 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 the amount of work that has to be done in, in, in the amount in the short amount of time? Always That's a short what's, a general, time. How, what's the turnaround? How do they? Explain <laughs> it varies. It varies. Yeah, oh, yeah it varies. But it's never a lot of time. <coughs> it's you never know? as much time as you'd like. Oh no! I yeah. mean, it's never. I mean, here's the thing: the, the thrilling and exciting things are for me is coming up with a sonic tapestry for the score. I love that process, and I really want to spend time doing that because, you know, I mean. You know, because you're creating colors. You know, you're trying to... You want to impart something that feels fresh uh, and, and, and yeah. exciting to you yeah. at the same time as, as feels fresh and exciting for the director and for the audience. So I really enjoy spending time sort of searching and, and, and coming up with and, 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 and discovering in that process. The, the intimidating thing is that the clock is ticking. Now, I have...
0: Uh, I'm going to jump around all the place just yeah. in case we start running out of time. I want to make sure I cover a couple things. things. Um, one... Uh, I do know you still have you still have a place you go to, and you also have been doing your work at your house as well. So you have two places, or or you? No,
2: I I used to work at my home many years ago, uh, but by the time you know my son became around two, three, too hard, and I was getting busier and busier. Um, and then my wife is uh, basically started her own practice and, and started working out of a home office. You know, it was too difficult to have the space and and quiet that I needed to to work without interruption. So, so, my, I, so, guess I, my, yeah, so I have a studio of about five, 10 minutes from yeah. my house that I rent. But you used
0: yeah. to work from home. Did it uh-huh. ever get to the, the thing where uh, your wife was like, dude, I don't want to hear that one more time, the repetition um. thing? I mean, it happens a lot of times. I used to edit from home and Oh I yeah. swear... My wife would come in she'd be like, you need to close the door. Please put put on headphones. I don't know how you can keep doing this repetition thing. Which, again, to explain to somebody who's not inclined for that, Mm -hmm. you're like, that's the only way to get it done. You have to be okay with it over. It's insane, though. For someone who's not a part of the process, it drives you bonkers. Did she uh, ever... Did, did, or she's, did she always
2: appreciate the? Well, um, she's she's very patient. She's very much a live and <laughs> let live person. But there are times. I think the things that irritated her were uh, if I had a session at the house, like a drum session. Right, or, that's or okay. Or if yeah. I was recording electric guitar, which is extremely loud. And, yeah. yeah, and and if I was, you know, if I had if I had people over, um, and I had people smoking weed at the nighttime. Yeah, you, you know, and she wanted to like maybe take a bath or go to bed. Yeah, those aren't ideal circumstances. <laughs> yeah, you know, I really Tried to avoid that, but um, that she she was always very patient, and I'm sure in her mind she was like, Christ, I have to hear that <laughs> thing a thousand times. But she's just also not the kind of person that, yeah, that lets that get under her skin. I uh, and, I and okay,
0: really. so here's the thing so you do these scores, mm-hmm. you do not do the final mixes on these, correct? You see, so you score, you hand it back in, somebody mm-hmm. has to do a final mix. Have you ever watched your product? Afterwards, you would be like, "Dude, why are you playing that so? Light? Why? Why did you? Now you've clearly, taken it out of clearly, my context, yes. right? You know what I'm saying? And that's is that, that's yeah, you just that's, stuck, stuck your finger into my wound, there, but, but, man. But it happens for everybody because yeah. you realize oh, in, yeah. in, in in film and television, mm-hmm. you do not have you you do bring something to the table, but you don't have final, final I, yeah, say. No. I've been and everybody by the needs way. to understand that only sometimes. one person typically has final say, and they can take something that you do. And you'd be like, ah. And again, it's not, it's not always a rage thing. But you, I'm assuming you have experiences where you're like, why did you bring it up so much? Or why did you bring it down so low? Because you've taken it completely out of the context it was meant to be in, correct?
2: All the time. Okay. But you know what? Look, this is um, a visual medium. And we're working for directors and producers and studios. And it's their project. Mm-hmm. They've paid for it. And it's their choice how it's going to be presented. Sure. And they're, they're, seeing, they're seeing it from a place... Uh, uh, they're seeing it from a distance of well, the, they're, they're, they're essentially in charge the buck stops with them and they're in charge with sort of seeing overseeing all aspects of the finished product mm. and that's their choice sure. I am creating one contributing to one part of that and you know it's amazing when you go onto a film set or a television set and you see the hundreds of people employed, and and you know we have this illusion that there's one or two people behind it Fuck who are heroes, right? Because no. right. when we no. watch the award show, yeah, it's one an actor. guy gets up and goes, oh, yeah. look what I did!" Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking oh, great. yeah. You know what? You know what's really illuminating? Go onto a film set yeah. and look at the hundreds of people that are toiling there, and it's, it is it's a massive collaborative effort. Yes, yeah, of which every person is contributing something and and no one person is has an uh, has an overwhelming Contribution. I mean, certainly the director and the writer and maybe the principal. But I'm just saying, like, but there's yeah. so many people that come into play, and we do have this illusion by watching award shows and by reading press that it's this person that captained the ship. And another Harrison
1: Ford movie, like, yeah. But there was also people helping Harrison. And, and, and so, Ford to, make so that to get
2: movie. back to your question, I am I am contributing to one part of that. So you it's put a, it. Into it's, a, perspective. it's a very. It's a very. Um, powerful part because yes. you know the music is you hear it and it, it and it's a very manipulative thing if the music will take you exactly where the director wants you to go as an audience you can feel sad or happy based on what the music's saying, regardless of what's on picture. Absolutely,
0: as you know, with with my film, you know, we had to do all the screenings. It has not been finished. The, mm-hmm. the, the the composing has not been finished yet. So right. all the screenings we did right. was with temp tracks, and right. sometimes there was empty spaces, mm-hmm. and you have to tell people up front like the music is. Spotty. We don't want you screening this if you know. We we had to have people who had a general understanding. Because most people don't, they really don't understand because they've only ever seen finished products, yeah. and and their mind doesn't seem mm. to understand that the that the, the score is not in there and mm. it's not connecting with them. Yeah. Something's missing, but they can't explain why. Yeah. So you have to tell them up front. You're like, listen, you know, the, the score's not in there. Nothing has been composed, so you're it's going to feel empty, and you're not and you're going to have to be okay with that and really focus on something else. Mm-hmm. Please don't focus on this emptiness. Sure, you know we'll get there. Yeah, um, but. My next question, to is, is there something that in, in your time that you've done this that uh, of the projects that you worked on, any of the projects that you're really hmm. proud of or um, one that you that really sticks out for oh. you that you were so excited to work on and you're glad that you got that opportunity? Well,
1: well, I want to then let's make this a couple part question. Um, what is your favorite score that you've ever done for film or TV? What is your least favorite score you've ever done for Easy film? With or the TV? negativity, the guy's got to keep continue no, I got to no, stay no, working here. No, buddy. no, just meaning, <laughs> just meaning, like, like at the end of it, you are like style, style, maybe style. Yeah, sure, just, just, and then, yeah. what is your favorite film or TV score done by someone that wasn't you? And what is your least favorite film or TV score done by someone who wasn't you?
2: Yeah, you know, I would say um, the 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 scores that really made me want to be a com- a film composer. Uh, was uh, Alec, uh, the James Bond scores by John okay. Barry. Ooh. John Barry, yeah. And, Rest in peace. Yeah, and um, Lawrence of Arabia uh, by Marie Char, And uh, those are probably the two big ones that just, uh, they just took me to a place, you know? They just took me to a place that that I felt like was the high point of what can be achieved in, in with film music and yeah. the juxtaposition of music and film and th- I think in both cases there was this sort of um there was a a fantasy and a it was almost like it has this narcotic effect on you you know it takes you to this place that can't that's, that can 't be described and and you can almost live inside that world that they 're trying to portray. The music makes it feel more accessible, more real, and and it was not only the melodies and the harmonies and the and the, and the actual composition of the music. It was it was the that sort of like um, synergistic effect of both things occurring at the same time. Those are the those are the kinds of scores that sustain me, and and that I those are the kinds of achievements ultimately that I would like to. I'm reaching for in my own career. Um, I would say. The, 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 anytime I'm working with somebody who is a genuinely... I know this sounds like a, uh, a cop-out answer, but it's the truth. I mean, anytime I'm working with somebody who's creatively gifted and creatively sincere, um, in, and when I say as sort of maybe a writer, director, producer, and um, is really portraying something meaningful and substantive uh, and compelling... I have had an awesome time writing the music for. Uh, my 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 forgettable experiences, the ones that I have had hard times with, have been when I've worked with someone who hasn't been um, a, appreciative of the amount of work that goes into uh, to writing the music. It's not that they don't appreciate me. It's appreciative of the amount of time and and, and understanding that you can't. You can't ask for seven revisions, eight, nine, ten revisions without understanding. Like, hey, you know, this is a job, and we have to get paid. And I'm not on like. Uh, an infinite retainer for right. you know, $5,000 to, right. to work on your film until you're satisfied with your film. You know, I think that that's unfortunately one of the challenges that we face as composers. There's not a lot of, we have no union protection and, and we usually are pay, paid a flat fee. Now, there has to be an understanding, like, you know, typically if you're an editor um, or working in some other capacity, you're working on an hourly basis. And so, right. you know, if they come in and say, you know what, we got to redo this we got to redo this this whole third and, yeah, uh, the whole fourth and fifth act. Over time, we need to redo it, and we got to get. Yeah, I mean, okay, but, you know, it's going to require probably another two months of work, but you're going to get paid for that. I mean, if they come back and they say we're redoing, we're recutting the picture, we need to do reshoots, and you've written all that music. In all fairness, the best, the you know, like the relationships that um, that process that it takes a lot of time, a lot of creative effort, and there are of course real real costs that a composer has to deal with in terms of getting the music produced, in terms of paying your own studio overhead, and, of course, just staying working and staying living, covering your personal costs, you know, that have to be respected. And I think that when, when those things are being respected and, the, and the, the person captaining the ship knows what they're doing creatively and is not just taking you for a ride through their own insecurities and their own doubts and their own inex- inexperience, um, then things are all right. When you get stuck in those situations where, where um, politics and personal failings are taking yeah. place and, and you're getting dragged through that, that can be challenging, and those are maybe not the, the best experiences. Because, I, I, when, like I said, when I'm working, it doesn't matter the budget, it doesn't matter, matter the scale. When I'm working with somebody who's creatively um, uh, gifted and, 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 and doing something substantive... And is also respectful of my time and my costs. Um, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, you know, you have something on. uh, uh, You are working on something that is currently on TV, right? Yeah, Uh, Longmire season five is coming back, so I'll get started with that. uh, Did you do the other seasons? Yeah, I've done. Oh, yeah, we've done all. We've done four seasons so far. It started. This is the bragging part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. first three Both were on a and, and Netflix picked up. Uh, oh. a canceled it after season three. Netflix picked it up. We had season four on Netflix last year, uh, and um, we're doing season five now. And then I also picked up a new series last year, Into the Badlands on AMC. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, it's doing really well, right? Yeah, it did great. Yeah. You know, we, it, it, we had uh, it, a terrific martial arts show, and, um, y- you know... I think it was one of the only martial arts shows that's been on television since Kung Fu. Yeah. Oh, really. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> with,
1: with, with its, it's like it takes place in a time when there's no guns. That's right. So it's all swords and throwing stars. That's and, right. This and is ninjas dyst- and fighting.
2: And that's right. It's a f- sort of dystopian future. Yeah, um, yeah. vision, and it, it's really exciting. And you know this. Wonderful show to work on because the scale and scope of what you get to do, um, because of the broad and big nature of the drama and the fights and the landscape, is exciting. But
1: it's also like what kind of like the line between TV and film being blurred again? Because absolutely. the fight scenes and everything in that show are movie quality. That's great. And, yeah, I remember you telling me yeah, when you absolutely. when you got it how yeah. excited you were. You about would know, that challenge. Like, if you told me that was a movie. I'd go, yeah, that's a movie. And then well, you know, we that's broke right. It into I mean, they,
2: yeah, because because AMC and Netflix. And 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 these broadcasters, when they're producing a show, yeah. they're not. Um, they want the best. They, they they're not going to say, oh well, you know, this guy only choreographs fights and no, no, so let's they want the him. guy who's done. Let's yeah, just get yeah. that because our viewers are are dis- discerning and they demand it. They're and if we want to compete yeah. in yeah. this incredibly competitive landscape now in television, where everybody is yeah. trying to turn out a two hundred million dollar new juggernaut like. Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, or massive. whatever it is, so yeah. massive. Um, they they know that they're going to have to deliver, and so they're just going after talent. They're not worrying so much about oh, this person works in film, and this person works in theater, and this person works in the record business. They just want talent that's going to that's going to you know, excite viewers. Yeah. Now, now back when
0: you were still, uh, just doing piano gigs and you were at Fitello's and, and Robert Blake came in and said, and hey, you, you had a gun. And <laughs> I forgot gun. my gun. Did yeah. you say, yeah. exactly. Hey, Hey, he's hey, mine. He's <laughs> mine. He's yeah, yeah, mine. Thanks <laughs> piano man. They so bring it all back around. No, but in all seriousness, so here's, uh, and Billy Joel wrote a song that's about it. <laughs> it. Yeah, right. So Dave and I have we'll we'll, we'll thank, thank you again for yeah, this, this, this was, the Guys,
1: this has been great. You guys asked And and the, to, to sum amazing it up questions, yeah. anybody who's thinking about uh, just with anything like you said with when the clouds parted and it just reminds me of John Belushi standing in the church with, he's like, the band, Elwood, the band. <laughs> like he knew right away just from, from like when you find that thing that you're like, dude, this is what I want to do. There are ways you can pursue it, find the people that do it much better than you, ask them for help, take lessons and wor- try to work however, you know, obscurely in the field that you're you want to pursue. Like mm-hmm. if you can teach beginners, teach beginners. If you... You know what I mean? I just I, it's just do your thing, do what you want to do, and find what drives you and and go crazy. Now, sorry,
0: go ahead. All of that's true. I mean, the the, the beauty of the fact is you've told us a journey, and it is a journey, and people need to understand like nothing happens overnight. I mean, you oh, got to This has
2: been twenty years. Yeah,
0: you got to find your way. Years. And, yeah, yeah, and it's 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 hard work. Oh, it's got to be in you too. You yeah, have, you have to, to have a lot of faith and yeah. faith
2: and and and. and um, perseverance, because there's a lot of times, especially, you know, you go for a career in the arts, as we all know here, there's a lot of years where, I mean, maybe you're not going hungry, but, you know... But you're going hungry. If if you're watching your peers work in um, sort of more uh, established fields or respectable fields or more sanctioned fields, in other words, more highly rewarded fields in terms of money and, Mm -hmm. and, and all those things, it can be challenging because, you know, you can't... Go out to, like, I'm just saying, like, I I had to be very um, disciplined in terms of, like, what I elected to do so that I could stay in the game because you just don't have money no you know? but and you got to stick with it and you know what you can start saying like why am i a loser and i'm the one guy who doesn't have any money you know and why and what is this dream i have i want to write music or songs you know you start to feel you can you can't like let yourself think that way because you can start no. to feel small and insignificant because
1: also you, you, can, the doctor who's making all the money might be a miserable piece of shit who like hates that he yeah, didn't go rating play the, the piano rating or
2: the farm pharmaceutical cabinet Yeah Right Exactly all right, now Maybe exactly. that's not exactly fair Maybe <laughs> no, he just but wants but to save I'm lives just, But I'm just saying but You don't yeah, know you What to, other people are going through You have to follow your path You cannot
1: All you can do is worry about yourself yeah. And then you, It's Live following your, your dream And living yes. your life is a, living
0: your life yes. You started a family You got married you, have, right. you know what I mean Like it's This isn't the only thing you do It You don't you don't, you don't didn't lose your mind And go crazy I mean you have balance In your life And stuff like that And Speaking of that Which is how we know each other And we'll wrap it up With this story That I've told a million times On this show but uh, Dave was there the day that I found the dead body.
2: Oh, God. But, but Dave, it, Dave, was, as, Dave, Dave lived next to the dead. Yeah, Dave lived wait, wait, next wait, door wait, to this, the dead wait, body. I have a second. This may tarnish my reputation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no one hired Dave. No, yeah, no Dave lived next to the dead body, and Dave was like, "Just leave the dead body alone." <laughs> so here's. No, no, what, so go, right, go ahead. So, so, no, nope, better well, investigation. I told,
0: so in the story, I talk about that all the insanity, just finding. The body. Do you and by, do you? see your audience know all about. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah that's, oh, so, so, but the part th- what, what people don't understand was when I get to the next part. You are the next part that when I when I always tell the story, which was we find the dead body and and, and Jonathan. Wait, can and I, I just yeah. interrupt
2: and say to your viewers because you may have been too modest to say Brian was the only person bold enough to <laughs> yeah. not only lead the charge but to enter the premises and <laughs> go down, stare stairs. down the yeah. dead body. Right. I was at, not going to do he that. He saw a
1: glimpse of it, he turned away. And it's
2: not, it's, I'm not saying it's because I'm a coward, but I live next to the property and I knew that I could not go to bed every night with that haunting. Yeah, yep. you know, no, man. You know, for yeah. some reason you have the, you had the presence of mind. I and would the, encourage anybody to do it. Probably, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Not to digress, but what, how did you do, how did you do, how did you do that? Well, I, I, you just do it, right? Well, you remember, if you remember... Why didn't you just say, you know, something's wrong, let me call the police and ask them to come? So, well, did you feel like so you had a neighborly my, duty, or... yeah, Well, probably that, but you remember, if you remember the chaos of that yeah. moment,
0: right, like, all the things that were going on, so you, I've got Jonathan with me, and yeah, he, and I, he yeah, and I yeah, were, yeah, like, ha- freaking out about other, it, yeah. and then Heather, the our, mm. one of our other next an door yeah. neighbors, she sees what's going on, so there was just a lot... Did you guys smell anything? Was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you did, we, I did, but I thought it was a gas leak. Yeah, and I saw. So I, I thought oh, it was a dead animal. Oh, oh it yes. was a gas leak, and it was a dead animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was all of these things. Correct. Those are just euphemisms. All of the above, <laughs> and it was a hot summer. Oh, it was August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian. It was August. Good, August twenty fourteen. <laughs> so here's where. And so, that body was in there for a week. Yeah. So basically, we we roped in. We roped in right, Dave. Yeah. Dave oh God. <laughs> the kid's birthday party happened while that body was hanging ah! there. So many things ah! took place during that week. But but the the point was. Obviously, be- because Dave and Lisa lived right next door to it, we we you know we had a few questions, and when, once we learned that the gate was open, we all knew mm-hmm. this guy. He was not the kind of guy to leave the gate open. All these things were coming yeah. to play, right? So when I found the body, and this this is I, this is the part I joke about all the time, and, and <laughs> hilarious. He came out. No, no, no. It is because <laughs> I was, find the body, yeah. so I'm like, okay the body is dead and i had you know like everybody I, I you have the cell phone we start walking up that's when i went into shock and the first person i see up at the top is dave and i'm like which everybody already kind of knew there was a dead body and i remember just holding my phone shaking. like shaking. i was going to i was going to call he was shaking and and dave was like no 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 i, I got this all of a sudden captain comes to the rescue and and, and I, this is what i always tell the story this is what you said you go no no i got this i will call and you go and you go but we're not going to call and tell them there's a dead body down there because they won't show up. If you want the fire department to come right away, you got to tell them <laughs> I think you think someone dying. is dying or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. you knew exactly. Like, right away, you're like, I got this Smart. part But you also realized I couldn't do anything. I was yeah. frozen. No, yeah. he was, I uh, was...
2: Brian, to his credit, had the courage to go in there. And, you know, I, I, this is the thing maybe your audience doesn't understand is that, you know, this film The Conjuring? I, a I, film. I'm of a huge horror said. film. Okay. After I saw that movie and I, I saw what happened next door, I realized, you know, these stories about haunted. It's a story about a haunted house, really. Okay. You know, these stories of hauntings, you know, they they sort of turn into something else when they become a story. But they start in the mind of the author in a place like what we experience next door. Yeah. Right. They start with with the experience of watching a family decay into madness yeah. and and the the manifestation of that madness accumulate around you as John, John uh, as Brian and I know the house emanated an odor that was that was noxious even when we li- when they were living there I mean yeah, you could that not was go the near problem. property there was this scent of 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 animal f- of death, death and decay and, always and animal excrement and it was just this constant smell of this miasma of of death and 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 excrement and these people were living there and dead rotten food and everything mm. and inside the house which I've never gone because I live next there I've invited door, them on
0: several occasions not anymore Brian has boarded been, up and...
2: I mean I, I I I can't even imagine but it was completely cluttered and and what I realized was that these stories of hauntings come from yeah. this this place that the house itself becomes like Im, imbued with this kind of it's not you can't call it evil, but it's kind of a it's a chaotic madness, yeah, it's
1: a negative and uh, and and whole. I think
2: Brian, you know this is the thing maybe you're honest. It's not just that Brian suspected there was a dead person inside, and he just walked into this nicely appointed house. <laughs> he, you know, yeah. going he, into the house walked, itself on its own is weird yeah, enough. I mean, yeah. I, no one can really understand what it's like that we've lived next to that property for many years, and we sort of over years imagined what was, was no knew what was in there. I mean, Brian had the courage to go into that property in that state with those smells. And those images. Uh And And then face, probably the most, the the worst image. Sure. We didn't know what he was going to see. And remember,
0: we had just met one of our neighbors for the first time. Remember the mom? Yeah, the mom. Yeah, no one knew the mom was even alive. So, like, there was so
2: many layers of wackiness going on, you know, that... And and here's, yeah, and another (laughs) story that makes it like a horror story is that there was a woman living there upstairs. I had lived next to this property for eight years. I had never once seen or heard of her or from her
0: yeah you just nobody know.
2: even knew that she, that, was alive. that she was alive and then one after- and this
0: guy used to do work for you which i found checks that he never cashed the day wrote him that's right later um next to a gun it, her son and then the man who killed yeah, himself. yeah, yeah. And, and and you know he did work i mean we all he that's was right. around it's not like you know what i mean like it's just it was weird you're right it was it was the most bizarre thing but yeah i i it um and you a good had thing you, you were there and i you, i've i've always told that part of the story that i use that i always tell people like listen if you ever find a dead body you can't
2: tell them the body's. Well, it dead. depends. I mean, if you're living in Beverly Hills, you can tell them, you know, I dry, I broke yeah, my nail. They'll be and there. The there cops will show up. Yeah. But here, if you tell them that there's a dead body, they'll be in there yeah, within like, the uh, next 40 year Rock?
1: Hours. Fuck, I'll be there <laughs> whenever. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So the back But up? I never
0: <laughs> asked you all these years later, is, how, how many did many you dag- even know that? Oh. How would you well, be why did in the moment did you we like, already experience
2: that at Bell's property? You did? Yes. What happened was Unfortunately, your viewer, your audience well, uh, is getting yeah. this this distorted view. A lot of people of dying in the neighborhood. <laughs> there were, yeah, yeah, it's like there was, there was a strength for a while. It's a neighborhood in transition. You know? yes. in and, and there were you some know, hoarders life to death. Some, some, a couple some, suicides. Yeah, and people aging alone in their homes without yeah, family yeah. to help them or over. You know, just to care for them. And it happens and, in every neighborhood eventually. Oh my but, God, it's happening all over. And, yeah. and you know, it's a it's a human rights issue. But the reality is that there was the same situation a one door up that way. Yeah. And even worse, I mean, there was like a, it was like a shining, like a, you know, like the shining, like maze in the back of, right. of, of stuff, right? Of hoarding. I mean, there was a it, tree growing through
0: a car. That's how long it?
2: <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and again, the same situation, a haunted house, basically. A woman, I don't know if she died or was sick no, there. No, she
0: didn't. She didn't end up dying there. Right, they, did, but, they did pull her out. Right. Yeah.
2: But what happened was, I think Jonathan called... And it took 24 hours for the police to come out.
0: Yeah, she was in a coma by the time the right. One she got was in a her, coma. Yeah.
2: There was a woman lying in the house, and it took 24 hours for the police. Now it sounds like we're maligning the police department in the Northeast no, no. Division, and we're not. But it's that, a big that, city with this stuff. Is all it's rampant. Yeah. Uh, on this side of town. Yeah, and and what happened was it took 24 hours for for someone to come out. And I understand. I mean, I think they thought maybe there was a dead body, and there was there was no fire. You know, so if, so you know, in, in terms of their priorities, maybe they were dealing with crime that they could prevent, you know. But that's what happened. So, yeah, we didn't want this problem lingering, especially since it had already been lingering for a week. Yeah. I, I would say that one of the most, there are so many colorful, and maybe colorful is too just sort of jubilant or no, a, no, a word, but you, there are so many colorful aspects to this, to this story. And there's so many stories like this for Brian and, and I in this neighborhood. But one of the strangest things happened that same day. Um, obviously, when the, when the mother came out, and and she was in this very odd state. Her hair was down very all the way down long, her back yeah. and dreadlocked into like one massive lock. And um she had not even probably seen sunshine for you know, like on her face for decades. At least eight years, because at you hadn't seen her at least. At least yep. And then something very bizarre happened, the coroner showed up. Oh yeah. And he shows up in this gray sedan and the man's face was his whole bearing was gray. It was a very strange thing. I mean, he obviously was, was around death all the Constantly, time. Yeah. But the thing that me, my wife and I noticed, and you probably noticed this, you know, he just put some smelling. What, what is it they put under there? Yeah, it's that, like
0: a Noxema kind of oh. smell, something that's so strong right, that, that you, you don't smell. smell Yeah, the yeah dead he dabbed body.
2: This, this, this cream under his nose, probably to prevent the smell from making him vomit yeah. uh, before he entered the property. But his whole bearing and his whole aura. You know, I'm not being like, you know, metaphysical here, but his whole n- bearing was gray. Yeah. He, it, it's amazing the way that somebody can exude a certain energy and, and clearly the, the fact of his life. He's the man life, of death. Yeah, being around death his whole life has... has, has
0: but has, that being said, the L.A. Uh, uh, coroner, you can go and they've got a gift shop. Didn't and, you say uh, a, a
2: cop went in there and came out and vomited? No, the oh, cop, the cop
0: ge- told me, he pulled me aside and he said, you were the guy who found the body. And I said, yeah, he goes, you see the face? And I said, no, he goes, good.
2: <laughs> no.
0: And then, and then the coroner pulled me aside. Because you,
2: you, when you went in, did you just see that, that he, he was
0: there? In, in a, it was in, a very calculated it? suicide. Like, he had, he right, had put did the you curtain just sort of the right. Of, I saw did, the whole body except for the saw, face. You just saw, like,
2: you just, right. And was his face concealed? Uh, no, in the because bag
0: or? if well, you want to know, I remember, I, I, John knows. Is this it okay story, I called we there, about I this? called you that day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no, what happened was he had been hanging, because he had been hanging for a week, over time, the neck stretched. So the body, the weight of the body, so the head never separated. It oh. never tore off. But it kept stretching and stretching and stretching. So what ended up yeah. happening is the head was way up. The neck was really long, oh, which is God. why I never saw the face. Like E.T.? Oh, yeah, like sus- E.T., like E.T. Was he suspended? He was suspended. Oh, my God. He had, he had literally, I now know what the term kick the bucket means, right? Yeah. Because oh. he kick, had
1: literally he had kicked the bucket. stood on the bucket and kicked it out from underneath yeah. himself.
0: So he was, he had but that fallen. That means he would have
2: had to die slowly. Well, and no, that, well, it depends like if you tie a know, good know. if you yeah, tie yeah, a yeah.
1: good noose, no, it should it should
2: but choke I you out. I thought you have to drop to break your neck. That's he usually did. what happens when you hang. He did. Right? So
0: what I'm saying is because his neck had pulled so much, it was very confusing. The body was like black from a week's worth oh, of death, God. right? But um uh and they they had, they, had did say, they did say that there was some struggle. Like they they, oh, they when they talked about it out that there was some struggle, but but what happened was it looked weird because one, the body was black and had already started getting into that situation mm-hmm. and, and it looked weird because he was a hoarder so he had fallen on top of a bunch of, was resting kind of on stuff because yeah. there was nowhere right. you couldn't go in that place without right. crap all yeah, over the place, right? But I didn't see the face because there was a curtain up and right. he had, he had designed it to be found. Oh man. And so he wanted to make sure when you found it, you you could tell that he was hanging, but you didn't have to go in there. So he had put the curtain at a specific way. So yeah. I never saw the face. Yeah. But it was it was just funny that the police officer, the coroner, and the fire department had all asked me individually if I had seen the face. And I finally, I think, when the coroner asked me, I was like, "No, why does people? Why does everybody keep asking me this?" And they're like, "Man, that was that we we've seen some stuff, but because of how long it had been." That, you know, his that? eyes he... had popped out, like, because no. it, yeah, so <sighs> it, they said it looked like a Halloween decoration. It was jacked
2: up. Like, they were, then they started describing to him, i like, I got, yeah, I, got yeah, I got I didn't I got see it. don't I, need to can go Can I go just ask one. you, since you were the one who had the, the, the fortitude to go in there, not uh-huh. knowing what you were going to see, I mean... What would how would that have affected you if you had? Would you would you have not gone? Would you have gone to sleep every night with that image? In well, your mind? no. Okay,
0: so I had nightmares for about two weeks after that you did. of him like floating in front of my door and all that kind of like really? my, the house because you remember he came and visited me. That was where the whole thing went, when if, in in, yeah. in hindsight he came dumped his whole life story. That's when I realized yeah. oh this guy's gonna commit all suicide. Right. So um, but uh, I talked to my brother who's a police officer yeah. who used to work in homicide, so he's seen plenty of dead bodies. And he said the reason why they ask you that question is because, especially if it's somebody that you know, it becomes very personal when you see someone's face. Yeah. So it's better that you don't see the face Ugh. because it does leave less of an imprint on you. Yeah. So you can, you can, you can right. be one, one thing removed from sure. that whole situation. So that's why they kept asking yeah. me. But the funny thing was, then they start describing, because I was just like, well, why are you asking me? You know? Well, you know, they're
2: probably describing it to relieve the ten- Everybody wants it out, right? Everybody they wants to get, get it out of it. their yeah. system.
0: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that was, uh, what a day. What a day in the neighborhood. <laughs> unreal <laughs> Dave great thanks for stopping yeah, by uh, remember, guys. great uh, no, but I, I love it. Yeah. Th- 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 to me I laugh about this now I, I, that's the way I deal with everything sure, yeah. I laugh about it because of the insanity that yeah. ensued afterwards yeah. two years of taking care of a stranger yeah. that no one knew lived in the neighborhood all these little weird things mm-hmm. you know but um, it is we have survived it all yeah um, <laughs> And uh, you moved your business out of the house because you, uh, because because your composing was making people kill themselves. Dave, why do all of your scores have this this smell of death to right. them?
1: <laughs> well, it's my neighbor. Yeah. But don't worry about it. He's
0: my muse. <laughs> Thank you again, seriously. coming out and sharing this real quick.
1: Wait, real quick though. I think I want to just say this. I, I get this off my chest. I think the best movie with the worst score ever is Scarface.
2: Oh yeah, Brian De Palma. Yeah, Brian De Palma's yeah. movies
1: have the worst music, or at least they did in the '80s.
2: Well, you know, he, it's fun, I- interesting. He always has a real vision for his score that um, that that I find is that separate from the sort of the norm yeah. and and that and that aspect i like about it for instance he did this film about mars what's it called mission to mars oh really you know yeah I was with about gary Sinise, the other day. And, yeah. and he had ennio morricone do the score and you know it's nothing like you would expect it's it's really a, a breath of fresh air it's like a romantic type of score the way you would associate of the kind you might associate with ennio morricone but you should check that out I, I mean, will Brian De Palma does ha- make distinct choices in how uh, he yeah. uses music Scarface is just bl- but, it's but glaring but if I remember Scarface had a kind of synthy kind of score yeah like, it was yeah. you're not it a was... fan
0: of the synth is what you're saying it sounds I, like
1: uh, maybe not it was just, it just it's also like... part of that era those early 80s yeah, films like, had... I felt like, every, he like he was like he just hired a composer on cocaine
2: and everyone was on cocaine <laughs> it was like like why is this blasting in my ear yeah, but, yeah the, I a lot of to... those those um, early and mid 80s scores featured uh, a sort of very, had a very synthy sound because that would be, that would be thought to be contemporary and yeah. and, and thank um, you Miami
1: Vice <laughs>
2: yeah all of it but, and, and maybe it doesn't hold up entirely well but it certainly is a, a sort of a, a glimpse or a snapshot of that era
1: you know, always positive yeah. uh, man Dave, with the
2: biggest vocabulary I've ever heard Dave play
0: us out oh wait you didn't bring, <laughs> your, sorry, you didn't bring your slide whistle or anything great show
1: yet. everybody thank you for listening yeah thank you Dave, thanks for, for having yeah thanks for coming by I appreciate it